Okay. Good evening, Chavra. We're going to learn a little bit. Uh, this week is Parsha Shmini, not to confuse the Parsha. Last week was Parsha Tzav. Um, we didn't have a shear on Parsha Tzav, so that will actually give me a good excuse why to teach something for Parsha Tzav, not for Parsha Shmini. But what, that which we're learning today is, let me just shut this. That which we're learning today is a very applicable to all times of the year, and uh, it's actually related to our daily service to Hashem. So that's what we're going to do. Something on Parsha Tzav, very, very fascinating. I taught this last week Shabbos over here in the shul, but of course Shabbos we can't record it. Now I was planning to teach something on Parsha Shmini, and I actually prepared two hours something else, but then I thought that that might be a little too complicated and very, very high up there and very Kabbalistic, and um, this would probably be more practical and more uh, more understandable to the most of the listeners. So that's what we're going to go with. Um, can we? What I taught on, on, on Monday? No, no, no. What I taught on Shemini, I didn't teach. I was just lear- learning it for myself. And I taught on Monday. No, not tonight. Tonight we're going to teach last week's parsha. That's great. When am I going to teach that? Who knows? When I have I have Monday's class was on the parsha. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's on the CD. It's on the CD and it's online. Of course you can get it. Whatever we teach over here, you can get. Besides on Shabbos. Because Shabbos we don't record. Okay, you get it? Now we'll go. Here we go, ready to go. And last week we learned the mitzvah of Truma Sadeshen. What's the mitzvah of Truma Sadeshen? Is that every morning, the opening of the temple service of the Beis I mean, the service was that the Kohen would go onto the Mizbeach, onto the altar, and he would have to remove one shovel full of ashes from all the leftover carbonos of, 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 of the... Of the, of the, of the um, of the day before. Because all day long they were offering um, sacrifices and they burnt the animals on the altar. Then um, it remained, they kept on burning it all night long. And in the morning, before they began the new service of the day, and they would set up a new, whatever they call it, a, 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 a set of wood. How do you call it? A pier? A, 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 when you have wood stacked up in a, I forgot what it's called. In any case, when they stacked it, before they would stack up the wood, they would go to yesterday's pile of ashes, and the Kohen would remove one shovel full of ashes. The Kohen would go up onto the altar, and he would offer, remove through the ramp. The Gemara actually tells something very interesting. Um, initially, they made a rat, they, ha- they had a race. In the early days of the Beis Amigdash, they used to have a race. Any Kohen who belonged to the daily shift of Kohanim that work in the Beis Amigdash can show up early in the morning, and the one that would get to do the job was the one that was fastest up the ramp. They would all run up the ramp. The reason why they did that, even though all the other um, services in the Beis Amigdash were not just grab and do, all the other services in the Beis Amigdash were given out by raffle. All the Kohanim that were eligible to work and were part of that, that shift 
was selected by a raffle for the Avodah, but this was the one job they didn't want to do a raffle. Since it was done like pre-dawn at like 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, and they figured that if they would do a raffle, you know how people feel, eh, what are my chances to win? So I'd rather just remain on, in my pillow. So they wouldn't have too many people showing up for the, um, for the Avodah. So therefore, and it wouldn't be respectful in the Beis Amigdash. So what they did was, they said, whoever wants to do it can do it. Show up and you can do it. If there's more than one person there, it's up to you. You just got to really run. What happened was, the one time an accident happened, and one person shoved someone else. As they were running, he shoved the other guy, and he knocked him off the ramp. The guy fell off and he broke his leg. When that happened and they saw that people are coming to a danger, they stopped the races. And they instituted for this as well a raffle. So the Kohen who won the raffle would take one shovel full of ashes, would go up to the altar, would go to the pile of ashes from the day before, dig in deep, push away the upper, upper ashes and the upper coals, get into the inside, inside probably there was still an inner burning fire there, and scoop a shovel full of old, of, of burnt, really burnt out ashes and coals, come down the Mizbeach and place this pile of coals on the side of the altar, on the floor, and a miracle would happen. It would get, it would, the floor would open up and it would get consumed in the ground. Oh, at some time. Obviously, uh, you know, can someone stand and watch it and look and wait for the moment that it got absorbed in the ground? Uh, it probably happened when everybody blinked. But, I, but, but the, it would get absorbed in the earth on the floor in the Beis Amigdash. Now what did they do with the rest of the ashes? They left it on the Mizbeach and they pushed it off to the side, to the middle of the Mizbeach, to a pile which kept on getting bigger and bigger. That pile was called the Big Apple. That's the first big apple. It was the apple, it was called the tapuach. In the middle of the Mizbeach was this big apple of shul. And it would get higher and higher and higher from day to day. The leftover ashes from it, till it would get like really, really too high. And it would be dangerous, like kind of it would topple over. And there would be an ash, a volcanic uh, eruption on the Mizbeach. So when they saw that it would get really too high, then they would have a few kohanim go up on the Mizbeach, empty off the pile of ashes, and take him outside of the camp to an enclosed area and they would leave it there. A area, fenced off area, makam tar, and that's what they would do. But that they didn't do every day. What they did every day was one shovelful, put it on the side of the Mizbeach. Since this is the initiation and the opening of our service every day, there must be something very deep to this avodah. What does this symbolize? What does this mean in our connection to God on a daily? Because we know that we ourselves have a mishkan inside of us. And all the avodah that was done in the mishkan, in the big mishkan, was done in a personal way, was done in an individual way, where everybody had to do this avoda for themselves. So here the question is, what is the avoda of Trumas Hadeshen? What is the service of removing the ashes of the Mizbeach in our daily service? So here we go. That's what we're beginning with. We should remove the ashes. In the Mishnah, in the end of the first chapter, Masech Yuma, what we're learning now is from the Tzemach Tzedek, Third Chabad Rebbe, a fascinating discourse. This is actually based on his grandfather's discourse, the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya. 
In any case, it says, Every day they would remove the ashes of the altar of the Mizbeach by the calling of the rooster. Meaning, when did they do it? They would do it by the crack of dawn, by the calling of the roosters. When the rooster would crow, that's when they would know it's time to do Trumasadesh. Now, the Mishnah says, that's regularly. That's in the regular time. Then there were specific times on Yom Kippur when they wanted to get the day started very early because the Kohen Gadol had to do everything by himself and he's fasting. And he was also up all night. They didn't let him sleep. Then they would move the Trumas Adeshen to midnight. So they got that out of the way. They did it at midnight. On the three pilgrimage holidays, on, on uh, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot, when there would be hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people coming to bring sacrifices galore, the Beis Amigdash was jam-packed. And the Mishnah says that by the time the, it never happened in the time of the three pilgrimage holidays that they should be the crying of the rooster and the Azara shouldn't be yet packed with Jews. So at four in the morning the place was packed already. If you came at six in the morning, you stood online probably till, nine, till, till four o'clock in the afternoon until you got your carbon, your carbon over. Problem is that the night before you were dancing all night because Simchas Beis Yashayva, so you really didn't get to sleep on these holidays because you really had to get your carbon going and all this. In any case, since they wanted to make sure that the Azar is ready for the Avoda instantly, right away in the morning, they should start the whole process. So they would do it at the end of the first third of the night. That means they did it like 10 o'clock at night, they did already Kriya Sagev. I'm sorry, Truma Sadesh, the removing of the ash. That's the mission. But on a regular day, they did it by the, by the, by the cry of the rooster. So he's going to explain over here the connection of the cry to the rooster to the doing of Truma Sadeshin. What is the significance of this avoda? And mainly he's going to explain what does it mean in our own personal avoda? What does it mean to us today? As he explains, This is the beginning of the entire avoda. So it is known on the Pasuk. You should make for me a base on Migdosh V'Shachanti B'Seicha. And I will dwell amongst them so the sages say, It doesn't say I will dwell in it, which means in the, in the Beis Amigdash. God doesn't say that I will dwell in the tabernacle. God says, I will dwell amongst you, which means Hashem says, I will dwell amongst every single Jew. That our heart, our, in our soul, our soul is supposed to become a mishkan for Hashem. Because all the details that was in the Mishkan. It also applies in our spiritual service. As it is known, that prayer is called Avoida, and it's what? And it corresponds to the daily offerings. The Shachris prayer corresponds to the morning sheep that they offered every day, and the, the Mincha service corresponds to the, I'm sorry, and Mincha service corresponds to the afternoon sheep that they offered every day. And the Mairev, the evening service, corresponds to the burning of the limbs that they did all night. The leftover, whatever they didn't get to burn by day, they burnt all night. And that's why we have three prayers. So you see that we have what? In our own avoda, we have Shachras Mincha Mairev, which means we have the daily temple service. It's not just the general idea, it's all the details. Every aspect of the service in the Beis HaMingdash is applies in a Jew's service even today in the time of exile. So we need to find what does it mean, what is the spiritual correspondence to Truma Sadeshen, removing of the ashes, 
which is so important that this is the first thing you do in the morning. for behold, just like the Mishkan was. What's the point of the Mishkan? In order, the Mishkan was built in order to allow God to come and dwell in this world, the Shechina, the Divine Presence, to have a nest, to have a place she can rest her feet. She can come down and, 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 and dwell in our world. And the same is also, through our prayer, we accomplish the same thing. Hashem comes to rest in our soul. What does that mean, Hashem is resting in a person? What does that mean that God dwells in a person? God dwelling in a person means that God reveals himself in the person's soul. That's what it means. A person has an experience of the divine. Now, what does that mean? So he says, first let's understand what does it mean in the Mishka. When we had a physical place where God was dwelling. Isn't Hashem everywhere? Everywhere. As the Zohar says, there's no place devoid of Him. There's no place where God is not. So then what is the Chiddush, what is the novelty of the Beis HaMikdash, that we say Hashem is there, when Hashem is truly everywhere. So what does it mean that He's there? So, what does it mean this dwelling? In front of Hashem, there is no Shinui. There is no change at all. So this idea that God dwells somewhere, he's going to explain what that means. And that means as follows. The first principle to understand is that to us there is a creation. To us there is a world. To us there is a world with a we exist, I exist, you exist, the shul exists, the bookcase exists with all the books, the water, the cup of water here, even the cell phone exists. Everything is very, very real and very much of an existence, very much a mitzvah. But we also know that from time to time when we get happy, and we sing and we dance, we all dance together and we scream, right? there's nothing but Him. So hold it, what do you mean there's nothing but Him? Does that mean we don't exist? If there's nothing but God, then, then what's with me? What's with you? And the answer is there's, there's two perspectives. There is the way God sees reality and the way we see reality. From God's perspective, there really is nothing but Him. Because all, and it doesn't mean that he didn't create the world. He created a world with me and you and everything in it, and yet he remains the only singular being mutually exclusive because creations are a total non-entity. They're utterly and absolutely canceled in his infinite presence and his infinite light to the point that they're literally, literally non-existent. What does that mean? How is that possible? That from God's perspective they're non-existent? He explains it right over here. He says, Kihine kamei barach before Hashem, ein shinui klal. There is no change at all. from before God created the world, la'achar abriya, to after God created. No change. That means creation didn't change anything. As the Pasik says, ani Hashem loishanisi. I, God, have not changed. What does it mean I have not changed? I have not changed means my exclusivity didn't change. Before I created, before God created the world, what existed? Only God. What happened after God created the world? It remains exactly the same. The only existence is God. Why? How is that possible? The worlds came into existence. So he explains. Because all the worlds, and we are part of that project, we're all part of the worlds. All, we're part of the physical world. But there are many worlds. Right? Worlds of angels and the like, and higher angels and higher angels. Right? All the worlds, this they came into being from God speaking. Okay, let's, 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 let's first hear that. Me and you, everything exists because God spoke. 
Ki hu amar, he spoke, vayehi, and everything came into being. So all of existence is a product of Hashem's speech. So our existence begins with words. Hashem's words are speaking us into existence continuously. Bidvar Hashem shamayim nasu. With the word of God, heaven comes into being. And the famous teaching of the Balshemtov, not only did God create the heavens a long time ago, 5,775, 76 years ago, but Hashem is constantly recreating heaven and earth every second through His speech. Because creation is a continuous, uh, perpetual union. Because the Word of God continuously creates. That's number one. So that's, and what are we really then? What are we really? What's really the makeup of our existence? The makeup of our anatomy, of everything about us? It's words of God. Everything is just a, a code. That's what it is. All of existence is just words. That's why we spoke so many times that in Hebrew, there's no, there's no word for stuff, for things. The words for things are words. In Hebrew, how do we say things? We say devarim, things. It's words. Everything is made up of words. That's number one. Now let's take a look and, and have a deeper understanding. What's this relationship of God to those words that He speaks? Okay? So you, first of all, can we say there is no change at this point so far? We're gonna build. He's gonna build this up slowly. Can we say so far that there is no change from before creation to after creation? Absolutely not, because before creation it was only him, and now there's him and his words, and his words that are creating me and you and everything that's existing. Right. So far, I, 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 it has to be very, very clear by everyone that there is a very that worlds exist and we exist because God spoke them. No. Hashem spoke them into existence. He gave them, he made them be. Ah, but now let's take it to the next day. Vahadibur, the etzlo is barach, and here is where he makes a very, very powerful idea. That by Hashem, Hashem's speech is very different than our speech. Now we're going to see God's relationship to speech. The etzlo is barach, and by Hashem, hadibur bottle. By God, his words are completely nullified. Like the, wor- the, the words of a person when they're still in his thoughts. What does that mean? Very simple. When you say words, what happens to your words? See, we're not usually so conscious of the reality of words. Ah, I said, I spoke. It disappears. The moment after you say it, it's not here anymore. But we know how powerful words are. Everything in the world moves by words. Everything is impacted by words. Words are very powerful. But today's days, when we have recording devices... You can actually capture what someone said. But even not today's days, even in the past, you can, a person can write down what someone said. And we have all the writings from words that people spoke and they were written down. And they were recorded for all of eternity, sometimes, if they lasted through the ages. Okay? So words, and even the person can die. The source of the words can disappear, but the words are still here. Right? Shakespeare's words are still here. Lahavdul, whatever. And then you'll have the words, of course, of, of the tzaddikim that were written down. All the sages, even though physically they're not alive anymore, their words are still here. Now, I can record your words if you speak. I can record your words. Not only that, once you speak something and it's recorded, the words are completely separated from you. Someone can take these words and use it against you. It could be, right? Words that they're in, basically, words, once they go out of you, are separated from you. They're independent. They become an independent existence outside of the speaker. Okay? Those are the words, however, only after you spoke them. But before you spoke the words, where are those words? In your thoughts. 
and then no one can control it, right? Then you're in control of your words. It's always a good, it's always a better place to be in when the words are still in. Once you let those words out, then you have to clean up the mess. But before you didn't put the words out, the words are still in your thoughts, okay? When you're thinking them, yeah. Okay, so you didn't speak it, but then you put it out. You threw kayacha maisa, you put them out. Maisa is actually even more nifrat. Because through action, you actually put it, you print it, you put it in Dibor, it's out for a moment, it disappears, unless someone records it. Or, or unless someone else takes it and puts it into mice. It's still, it's still a word. It's still a word that went out of you. It left you. But when the words are still in your thoughts, then what? Then what? Then, then, then they're still inside of you. They're not, they're not an existence outside of you. They're only within you. Now let's take it a step further. That's however when you thought the sentence. How about before you thought the sentence? It wasn't even in your thoughts. So where were those letters Arguably, you can say that they don't exist before you even thought them. Before you even thought those words, hello, how are you? Before you even thought to say that, hello, how are you? Where is the hello, how are you? It's non-existent, it's not a reality, it just doesn't exist. Now, obviously, it does exist because they're emanating from your soul. And you're the producer of these words. So the letters are there. They're hidden inside of you. But... Can you really say there are words there? No, the power to speak is there. The power to think is there. But there is no identifiable letters. Are there as identifiable letters? I'll give you an example. We always use this example in this year. In six weeks from now, you're going to walk down the street, you're going to see a Yid, and you're going to be very kind and Shabbos, and you're going to be just a good Jew, and you're going to say, good Shabbos. Two, good Shabbos is six letters. Good. Gimel, Vav, Tes. Good. Shabbos. In English, it's even more letters. So whatever you, whatever you mean, when, if you're saying good Shabbos with Hebrew letters, or if you're saying good Shabbos and you're using English letters, whatever it is, those letters that you're going to speak in six weeks from now, saying to someone, good Shabbos, are those letters inside of you now? For all practical purposes, they're non-existent. But they are inside of you, because if they were not inside your soul now, you couldn't emanate them in six weeks from now. They exist, but they exist in a non-existent existence. Because they exist just as you. It's, you can't really say there is good Shabbos there. Are you carrying all the million good Shabbos you're going to say all your life inside of you? N- yes and no. No, because you don't, you're not filled with, these, all, with every conversation you're ever going to say in the future. So that's why we're saying no, it's not inside of you. But yes, because what are those letters? Those letters are just lost in the greater power of energy of you. Yeah, okay, it's, it's, it's provoked by someone else, but the actual letters themselves were created and brought out from your soul. So it's maybe triggered, it's maybe stimulated by an outside Indian. But the actual letters are emanations of your soul. Even if you didn't learn it. Okay, so then the idea comes in. The essential makeup of letters are within a person, in your soul. You have these letters, but these. So once you speak a letter, you're defining that energy. You're defining the gimel. You're defining the tess. You're defining the lamid. You're defining the c, the d, the h, the q, whatever it is, and you're you're emanating it and you're putting it out. Before that, another example would be like this. You'll get what I'm saying maybe clearer like this. If I'm to take a plain white sheet of paper, mamish a plain white sheet of, sheet of paper. And I'm to hold it up in front of you. And I'm to say, do you see the Aleph? 
Do you see the Aleph? A sofer Aleph, a nice Aleph. Or do you see the A? There's no A, it's just a plain piece of shape. I didn't write anything on it. How about if I take that piece of paper and I cut out the shape of an Aleph? And I take the Aleph from the paper and I take and, and I'm not I'm not talking about the space that's left over Aleph. I'm talking about the actual piece of paper. The Aleph that I cut out and I hold it out. You see an Aleph? Okay, now I take that, I put the Aleph back in, inside the greater paper. You might still see the Aleph because it's visible because it was cut out once. But imagine if I can put it back in in a manner that it melts back into the greater paper. Is the Aleph there? Yes, if the Aleph is there when it comes out, of course it's there in the source. But in the source it's not an Aleph because it's not it, it's just a greater, infinite, greater, or rather say, undefinable source. Do you hear what I'm saying? The letter becomes a letter once it emerges out, but the letter does not is not a letter when it's still in its source because all it, the letter is there, but its existence is nothing other than the source, not it. You hear the idea? That's the Aleph when it's still in the paper. Get it? Now you want to hear the coolest idea that Hasidus teaches us. And that is that when we speak, we emanate words, we emanate words, and the words leave us. They go outside of me, and they go to you. They go to the hearer. They go to put them out there. But by God, there's no such a thing as something leaving Him, because He can't leave Him. He's everywhere. So the letters never go out. So the letters remain when Hashem speaks the ten, the ten utterances and creates all of existence. Where are those letters that He's speaking? He's saying Vayomer Elokim. Hashem says He or. Let there be light. And the Aleph of Resh of Or create light. But those letters that God has spoken, those Aleph of Resh of Or, or the letters Rakia, Resh Kuf Yud, that he's emanating, don't leave him. So if it never leaves him, it's still embedded in its source. If it's still embedded in its source, it's really for all practical purposes, not existence. It's just, its existence is just a greater source. It's all lost in that, so it's all exi- it's all t- completely nullified in him. Now, if so, what happened by creation? What, so what happened? And nothing happened. The letters were there before, and the letters were never spoken. The answer is when Hashem speaks it, He speaks it, it means that the recipients, us, to us it looks like these forces have emanated outside of it. To us it looks like human speech, that the, the energy went out of its source. So there's two realities. To all the billions of creatures that are receiving, including angels and all creatures, they're all shaped and formed and defined because to them, the letters have left the source because they only see the letter, they don't see the source. They're not visible. The source is not visible. They only see the Aleph. They only see, they only sense the power that God is emanating into their existence. They don't see the greater source. But from God's perspective, who He sees the whole picture, sees the letters is like the unspoken good Shabbos, exactly mamish. It's like those letters that have never been spoken. Can you say it exists? Can you say you're, there is you and there is all the billion words that you're going to speak the rest of your life? It's not. It's just me. When I will speak them, then they, then they emerge into existence. But by God, even after He speaks them, the letters never left them. So all of existence is actually totally nullified and absorbed and enoid movadi, there's nothing but Hashem. It's all in the yeah, but, but even if, when you're thinking it, means there's something separating from him. It's not even in that state either, because that means also a certain period, a certain leaving. It's all embedded in him, all one with him, and it's only him. 
Of course, there's levels where Hashem, does that mean that Hashem doesn't see the creation? That means there is an absolute truth that God knows that everything is canceled in Him. And there's nothing but Him. And then there is levels where Hashem is mitzamsim Himself, kind of to see, to allow Himself to see things the way we see it. To play along in this game. As if we are a real existence outside of Him that has real mitzvahs, with choices, with the whole world, with good and evil and everything. But the MS la'amitoi, all of existence is nullified in its source. And there's nothing but God. Now we, the creations, don't feel that. We don't sense that. We don't experience that. Because if we would be, if we experienced that, we would be, we'd be IVFs. We'd be nothing. We'd be lost in Hashem's light. So we feel mitzias. We feel very strongly. I am. I want. I need. I'm a whole mitzias. The world is very real to us because we don't see the aleph still in the blank piece of paper. We see the creation as if it moved out. We're experiencing the creation after millions of partitions. You realize that this, this, this separation doesn't, it's not just a separation. Hashem is putting partitions after partitions after partitions, after screens and partitions, and more and more and more and more to make us feel the way we feel, as if we are totally separated from Him. But the partitions are only to us, not to Him. He sees through all the partitions. Partitions are not at all in any way blocking for him. They're only blocking to us. They're not blocking to him. But you know why? Because the partitions are also him. Since the partitions are him, they can't block on him. The halacha is that if I don't have a yarmulke on my head, I can't make a blessing. Okay, I'm not allowed to make a blessing without a yarmulke. What happens if I don't have a yarmulke and I put my hand over my head like this and I want to make a blessing? The halacha is I'm not allowed to make a blessing even if I have my hand over it. Because since it's me, I can't cover on me. It's not called covering, because this is me. But if I take my sleeve, you see a lot of chassid shayidin. They want to make a bracha with two coverings on their head. They never make a, sh- a blessing unless they have a yarmulke and a hat. So what they do is, if they don't have a hat, you see them. This, this, this is the image of a chassid shakoil. A guy is sitting with a coffee. He has a piece of sugar or whatever. But I remember, I mean, this was always like the, the, the image I had from old times, Borough Park. Uh, the guy sitting there, huh? He puts his hand like, again, he's lazy to get his hat that's halfway down the table. He goes like this. Yeah, and then, what's the idea of going like this? Because when you go like this, your sleeve is already not you. And because it's not you, it acts as a cover. But Hashem, since all the coverings that He's covering are Him, because the power of Tzimtzum is also Him, so the cover is not really covering. So to Him, He sees how all of existence is absolutely nullified, I and the F.S. Mamish, and he's the only reality. It's not even that there's something bottled. There's nothing there to begin with. It's only him. From our perspective, the worlds are very, very metheistic and very real. Okay. There is one place in the world in where the MS of the Abishter's perspective is revealed. That's the Chiddush of the Beis HaMikdash. When we say Hashem is Shoreh somewhere, it means he allows that place, in that place is Mechabel the Emes, is receiving the truth. Is seeing things the way it really is. So when the Kayan Gadol walked into the Kodesh HaKadashim, for instance, it says in the Pasuk, V'chol Adam lo ba'oyel. No man is allowed to be in the oil. When the Kohen Gadol goes in, no person is allowed to be in the tent. No one is allowed to be there. You ask the question, but hold if no person is allowed to be there, how is the Kohen Gadol allowed to be there? And the answer, when he went into the Kodesh HaKadashim, he didn't exist. 
He went out. He was bottled by Metzias Lagam. He entered into that consciousness that there's nothing but God. He was subsumed in the Emes of Enoid Movadai. There was no person there. That's why also interesting idea that at that moment, see, when Hashem is revealing Himself in someone, means you're accepting God's truth. And to accept God's truth is who Levadai, who? That He is the only reality and there's none but Him. In the Beis Amigdash, that's revealed. In the Kaidash HaKadash. That's why I mentioned, do you know when the Kohen Gadol prayed for the Jewish people? He didn't pray in the Holy of Holies. You would wonder, he's in the Holy of Holies. Should, he should break down sobbing. Imagine the Kohen Gadol in the Holy. And cry and weep and beg God for all the petitions. And take out a little note. And Chava Basar needs it for Shalem. And Yankel Ben Moshe needs it this. Everybody should send the Kohen Gadol. We're going in. Especially if they had a fundraiser, they could have made so much money for the Kohen Gadol. They make like, you're going to the Melech of Lezen, it's kind of busy here, I'm getting emails. We're going to daven for Shaduchim for you. We're going to daven for this. So imagine the Kohen Gadol is going into the Kodesh HaKadoshim. He should have a list from here to Kanarsi. Right? Of like everybody's, everybody's the problems. Yet the Kohen Gadol doesn't daven a word, doesn't say a word. The only time he davens is when he goes out into the Hechal. When he goes into the, into the Heichal, that's when he daven tefillah katsara, short tefillah. Why doesn't he daven when he's inside the Kodesh Kedoshim? And the answer is, if he has a self, if he feels himself as a somebody, with someone with, you know, him, if he feeds anything but God, at that moment, you, there's no I, there's nothing but Hashem. It's only when he goes out into the outer room and, he, and the light is again. See, the, the moment you leave the Kodesh Kedoshim, that the brightness of Einoid Movada isn't there anymore. And it's, you're already seeing it through a partition. You're pretty close to it, but it's not as crisp, as sharp anymore. You have already somewhat of a self to the point that you can say, I need a rafua, I need a this. You return because you're already on the other side of the partition. But when you pass that partition and you go inside, and that's why the Kohanim Gedolim that were not ready to receive that revelation died. Year after year, whoever was not able to go into this state of bittel, of total becoming ayin ve'efes, becoming total non, non-existence, to accept God's truth, couldn't, couldn't survive that experience. So what does it mean, hashra sashchina? It means allowing God to express His MS to you. But that means we dissolve at that revelation. Okay? So now let's read over here. The Indian hashra azu, what is this hashra? What does it mean, hashra hashchina? Before creates to after creates. And explains why. He's explaining it logically. We should be able to understand. How is it that in front of God there's no other existence? I'm sorry, because all the worlds were created from speech. And by Hashem, the speech is bottle. Just like a person's speech, when it's still in your thoughts. Just like the, the speech is non-existence when it's still in my thought. Especially v'chulu. The reason he puts v'chulu is, because in Tanya he explains this, and even prior to thought, the words are even more nullified. And even be, like when you have an emotion, a feeling, you don't feel words, you just feel the emotion. It's only when you start really thinking about it in words. But first it's just an emotion. But there are words there, but the words are so lost in the greater energy of the emotion. And the deeper you go in the soul, the less you feel the words. 
Because the words are... And in your etzama nefesh, the words are totally not... They're there, but they're non-existent. Because over there, they're just you. They're not a thing other than you. Rak, why do the worlds appear to be such an existence? The worlds appear to be something because there are so many contractions, and so many um, obscurity, things that obscure. It should appear as if the speech, as if it left, it's as if the speech emanated and went out of the speaker. Like our speech. So therefore, we don't see it the way Hashem is. That's why God is called Soiviv Kalalman. Why is Hashem called Soiviv Kalalman? He encompasses all worlds. What does that mean that He is Soiviv Kalalman? We say that God is, encompasses all worlds. After Leisasar Panimine, even though there's no place devoid of Him. So, what does He mean God is surrounding the worlds? You had a question? The Zohar says God surrounds the world. Surrounds seems to imply that He's only around the world. Following? Surrounding seems to imply that Hashem is only around the world. He's not present within the world. But aren't we saying that Hashem is everywhere? Heaven and earth, God says, I fill. Because this Inyan. The reason why, and yet, yet we're saying that God is surrounding, and the answer is like this. Of course Hashem is everywhere. Right? Hashem is everywhere. When we say He's surrounding, is because He's completely outside of our consciousness. Following? It's completely outside, it's completely outside of our consciousness. And this experience, hold on, Rak Meshum, excuse me, Rak Meshum, the reason is, Meshum Shebchinazu, because this revelation, Eich Atahu Hashem Levadecha, how God, you are the only reality, Vekula Kalachshiv, and everything is not before him, Einoi Begiloi, is not revealed. The worlds don't experience this MS. The worlds appear to be something. We don't experience that MS inside us. That's why he's considered as if he's surrounding us. You know what I'm saying? Because this MS is not felt in, inside of us. So that's why Hashem, Hashem is hovering above us, meaning it's not felt within our space, his MS. That's because there are so many partitions, uprasais, and 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 curtains, hamalim that are conceal the light, hamislabish venitpes pa'elamais that is enclosed and grasped in the worlds. Mipchinas memalakalalnim from the memalakalal. Vayadei hamishkan hoyo agiloy lamata. But what happens in the mishkan? From the mishkan, you can have another one. From the Mishkan, that's good to say. Vaidei Amishkan Hayegilu Lamata, and from the Mishkan there was the revelation below. What was the advantage? What was the great thing about 
what was the awesome thing about um, what's called again about the Mishkan? What makes the Mishkan? What makes the Mishkan so unique? What makes is the, here's the thing. Here, 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 well, the Mishkan is a place where God's truth is revealed. That means that means that this, what was told now Sovev, what was told now surrounding is internalized into the recipient is receiving it. That's called, let me tell you what that's called. That's called a unification between God and the world. Unifying means the world, he is, it's called a yichud. You know, in Kabbalah, it's always discussed about yichudim. Yichudim means unifications between higher realities and lower, higher godly realms are unifying with the lowest sefirot. This is the meaning. It's when the truth and the clarity, here's the idea, the truth and the clarity that is in a higher realm is revealed to a lower realm. That means the, the, the recipient is receiving the MS as it is beyond the curtains. That means the two are converging. So when within the world, which is a world of, see, the world is considered the world of the Shekhinah. Why is the world the world of the Shekhinah? Because that whole process of partitions and blockages all comes from the Shekhinah. Because what's the idea of Shekhinah? Shekhinah means what? Shekhinah is the power of God within the world. Which makes the world feel like what? The Shekhinah is what makes the world feel like a creation. Because the whole point of the... The Shekhinah is generally associated with divine speech. And God speaking, He speaks the world into creation. That's speech. The... The levels higher than Shekhinah called HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's where there is divine clarity. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's where things are the way they are. Trans- Kadosh means transcendent, removed. That's where the MS is. So usually the full MS is in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not in Shekhinah. The beauty of the Beis Amigdash is that's where the HaKadosh Baruch Hu meets the Shekhinah. That means, in other words, that in our world, we're living in the world of Shekhinah. Within us, God comes to reveal Himself into us. And that's the yichud, and the space of the Kodesh HaKadashim is where we can feel things the way God sees it. We're not blurred. We don't have the blur, we don't have the partitions. The partitions aren't there. Now this is called for Hashem to reveal Him. Now it's interesting, He says an interesting, strange, strange phrase. That's why this revelation is called Tzimtzum, which is kind of strange because Revelation and Tzimtzum are the opposites. Tzimtzum means contraction, hiding. Revelation means what? Giloy. Tzimtzum and Giloy are two opposites. But he's saying, no. In order for God's truth to be revealed within the space of our world, Hashem has to compress His revelation to make it revealable. In other words, even though we're saying that in the Mishkan, in the Beis Amigdash, God revealed His MS, it doesn't mean that He revealed it as totally as is. Because if He would reveal it totally, totally as it, He would blow the Mishkan away. He would blow the Beis Amigdash away. He would blow the creation away. So that's not what happened. Hashem, comp- he, he, he allows Himself to be sensed in that place, but through a powerful contraction. He tzimtzum. But in that area, he is revealed. But through a tzimtzum. He says, B'shem tzimtzum kamaymer is al tzimtzum shechinasai. He contracts and focuses his shechina between the two poles of the aron. 
That's where the greatest, most revealed presence of God was, was on the Aron, on the Ark itself. In order for the Soviv Kalalman to reveal itself in the Mamale, this is considered a contraction. In compared to the rest of the light that remains in its Soviv state. In other words, even though we're saying that now the Soviv, the encompassing truth, is revealing itself within the world, it's not like everything. Only a little bit of it, a little peak, a little tiny bit of that MS reveals itself in the, in the Aron, and most of it still remains above. That's why whatever is revealing is considered simtsum, contracted his light, like a laser beam. He focuses his light down into one spot. Okay. Now this revelation, this revelation happened in the Holy of Holies. It happened in three places. It happened to the greatest, most strongest, most powerful revelation was where? In the Holy of Holies. Then it was also revealed where? Not, to, not, not in such a strong way. At, behind the parochas, the other side of the curtain. Over there it was toned down. It was still... That's why no one is allowed to enter, only Kohanim. Most people did not have the spiritual capacity to be able to receive such revelation. So, but it was revealed in the Kodesh, in the, again, its ultimate revelation is where its highest revelation is in the Kodesh HaKadosh. Let's say over there it's revealed 100%. In the Hechal, which is the outer room, let's say it's revealed 70%. It's dimmed 30% and revealed 70%. And finally, it manifested also in the courtyard. But over there, maybe 40% of this, of this truth. We're on the altar. When the fire from heaven came down and consumed the animal, you actually saw this. You could see it with your own eyes. A fire from God came down and burnt the animal. What does it mean, burnt the animal? Something of this world, an animal, meat, flesh, an animal, becomes what? Subsumed, becomes integrated in God. It loses its existence. What are we saying now is the whole idea of God revealing Himself in something. God revealing Himself in something means that that thing experiences itself as it is inside of God. And when you exist within God, then what are you? You're God. You're not you, you're God. That's the ultimate revelation. When you become so enlightened that you're not you anymore, you're just part of the infinite MS of Hashem. Total non, non-existence, but this is the true existence. Because now you're existing in full truth what you really are. What are we really? We're all part of Hashem. It's just that big blockages make us seem something separate. So where do you see that physically? Where can we see something that was five minutes ago it was parading around saying, Moo, I'm hungry, I am, I'm a cow. Ten minutes later, where is it? It's absorbed in God. It has now become integrated in Tasha. Sadly by the animal, because he's an animal, yeah, you have to burn him to do that. A Kohen is able to go in, he doesn't have to be burnt. He can remain in his, 
in his body and yet become so nullified. Do you know when a Kohen was in the Beis Amigdash, he literally didn't exist? He was living in this consciousness. He was in that space. He was in a different space. He was in that. The Kohanim were in such a deep meditation the whole time. They were in a different space. You had to knock them on the shoulder like to like just, if they were here, they were just in a different, they were in such a state of bittel, of nullification. When they went into the Kodesh, when they went into Heichal, even deeper. The animal has to die doing it. The Kohen didn't have to die. He can do it while he's alive. Okay, follow? That's the idea. Kamoi can but. Just like this was go- taking place in the Beis Hamikdash, now he's going to explain. Well, when we daven and when we daven properly, we can reach this place during davening. We during davening we can heighten our consciousness and our awareness. The whole point of davening is to come to expansive consciousness, where you come out of the tiny little crack of self of self-absorption, of self-beingness, you open yourself up through meditation. Davening is really an exercise of meditation. You, do, you meditate on the words, and the words are conveying the idea that God fills all of existence. That's what, what is davening all about? You're meditating on the idea that all of creation is nothing other than the words of Hashem. That's what you start. Baruch she'amar Imagine if you can dwell on those words, blessed is the one that spoke and the worlds came into existence. Imagine if you can sit that way for 10 minutes and just think that one thought. Now God's words are creating you, the birds, the clouds, the blue sky, the trees, the water, the croaking frogs, the flowers, the bumblebees, the annoying neighbor that bothers you all the time. All that is being created by God's words. Funny combination I made now, but it's all there. It's all part of it, but it's all words. And you think about that for a long time. Five, imagine thinking about that for 10 minutes. Then you open your eyes and you look at the table, what would you see? You'd see a table. 10 minutes, if you thought, of, you would mamash feel and sense that what's, what's the table? The words of Hashem. Then you take this machshava deeper and deeper, how these words are canceled in front of God. And you, you know, the you know, most important thing is, most important thing is not to forget that you're part of those words. You took us. A lot of times a person can nullify their neighbor and nullify their grandmother and nullify everything in creation but themselves. The point is that you include yourself in that realizing that you also don't exist but for the words of Hashem. And you think about this a long time and then you realize you think deeper how all this is just a tiny little expression of one letter and a non-spoken letter and how all the words are nullified. Guess what? The time you get to Kriya Shema, if you do this daily, deeply, meditatively, the time you reach Shema, with divine assistance, you couldn't do it your own, with divine assistance, God is going to move partitions away. He will. And suddenly, you're not going to feel yourself in the same way you feel yourself. Suddenly, you experience a revelation of truth in your soul. And when you say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Achad, you're not just mumbling words, but God has appeared to you in Shema Yisrael. And the Yerushalmah has now become aware of the MS of Hashem. You've melted in that MS. And when you say, you should love God, you're, you're, you're feeling that you're, you're completely absorbed. That's the love. The love is that you're, it's not like I'm loving, oh, it's some love God. Yeah, of course we love, I would love God. It doesn't mean that. It means they, you're melting. You're being pulled in. 
You're pulled into his MS, to his truth. So that's davening. What was your question? That's why I said we can do it when we're alive. Um, in the animal, it came out in the manner that the animal got burnt. But in the in the in the in the experience of davening, uh, we're supposed to remain physically human beings, but enter into that consciousness. That's the point. You can't forget totally because then you might, God forbid, if you reach these highest highest levels of meditation and you don't hold on to the physical world, then God forbid, you can end up like the animal. The problem with that is, is exactly this week's parsha. Nadav and Avihu did that, the two sons of Aaron. They followed the path of the carbon, and they got burnt. And that's not what God wants. God wants us to enter into this consciousness, go all the way, but keep one thread attached still here, so that we can come back, and bring that light down into the world. Okay? So now, that's what he explains over here. All these things exist in a person's soul. It can be that God will dwell inside every person. Every person has to make a mishkan in his own soul. To draw down godly revelation in one's own neshama. In the avoda of the heart, which is davening. How do you do that? What's gonna ha- what does it mean to attain this level where you become a mishkan? That means that your heart becomes exactly the same like the, the, the Aaron, the Aaron and the Mizbeach, which are, the Miz- what, what was the whole point of that space? That was space in which. The creation didn't occupy space. The creation was nullified to God. So when one's heart becomes clean from any sense of ego, any sense of self, the two ventricles of the heart, become filled from godly revelation. In other words, Mamish Hashem is now revealed in the heart. If Hashem is revealed in the heart, what does it mean the two ventricles, the two sides of the heart? The right side and the left side. You see, to this godly revelation, when it will enter your heart, not just in your brain, you see, meditation takes place mainly where? In the mind. But the point and the objective the point and the objective of the whole thing is that it shouldn't remain a detached the point and the objective over here is that it shouldn't remain a detached concept that you understand in your mind. And the point is that you realize, you feel it so strongly that you feel an emotion. It captures your emotions. Right? Now, in the emotions, it's going to split into two. The right side of the heart is going to respond to that revelation, to feeling Hashem's truth. The right side of your heart is going to respond to that with tremendous joy and happiness. You're going to experience exhilarating joy when you're released, when a person becomes released from the limitations of their own ego, from the limitations of their own self, and you become absorbed in God, the joy and the ecstasy and the delight is indescribable. Because it's true. 
You're finally breaking out of the shell of falsehood. And you're melting into MS, into truth. Tremendous joy. The left side of a heart is going to experience total opposite emotion. The left side is full of gavura. The right side is full of chesed. So chesed is very positive. The left side is very negative. So when it experiences godly revelation, it's going to experience it with a f- powerful feeling of deep bitterness and frustration. Why bitterness and frustration? Why would you think you would experience bitterness and frustration? Because you realize how stuck and how stuck we are the rest of our life. How false we're living in. And what kind of ridiculous trap. It's like a person gets out of prison. They let him visit his, you know, they have their, their mother comes to visit them, their wife comes to visit them. They let them speak, you know, from across the window. Sometimes they'd be very strict, high security prison. So the person feels so connected. He has a moment to be together with his family. He feels so tremendous, such joy. But at the same time, such bitterness that we're separated. And, and, and they'll break down crying then much more than they'll cry in their cell. Because when they're in the cell, they don't feel the way life is supposed to be. They just feel, they make peace with the situation that I'm in jail. But when I come so close to being back with my family, to being back with my loved ones, being back in truth and normalcy, and then I realize how insane my life is, how trapped I am, it causes bitterness. So these are the two experiences that one can experience during davening. Intense, powerful joy and ecstasy. And together and coupled with that, on the left side of the heart, deep pain and, and bitterness from this that we're, that we're so not here all the time. And how my whole life is a contradicting this truth. Because I'm so stuck in a prison of self, which is just a lie and a deception and a stupidity of Kalipa that gets into our brain and separates us from God's truth. Which really means living in death. It's worse than living in a a dungeon. It's like living in a grave. So, so as he says, so the two sides are going to be filled, the right side, that is filled with spirit of life. As a result of this godly revelation, it's going to experience simcha joy by Hashem and Hashem. And then the left side of the heart, is going to experience powerful bitterness. So now, so now the heart became a keli, the heart became a, a, a vessel. Just like in the mizbeach, the animal got burnt up on the mizbeach, guess what? So the same thing is in your heart. Who resides in the person's heart until you daven? What do you feel in your heart? Your animalistic urges, wants, and desires. There's an animal inside a person's heart. What's that animal? That animal is the ego animal of self that's in the heart. And when you daven the way you're supposed to, you burn that animal up inside your heart. And what's revealed in the heart is God instead of one's animal soul. And that's why your heart is like the mezbeach. Kamoya mezbeach like the mezbeach. Ki mezbeach, what does mezbeach mean? Mezbeach comes from the word zoveach. Zoveach means to sacrifice. What happens when you experience this emes is you sacrifice your eye. You sacrifice the false eye. 
one shechts his yetzer, his inclination. Because the basic idea, you know, let's understand something. The practical outcome from all this powerful spiritual experience, it's not just for the enjoyment and the pleasure. It's not for the thrill chas v'shalom, of just enjoying like, oh wow, that was so cool. That's not what it is. Like people look for spirituality as another form of bliss and enjoyment. That, that's so not... What we're talking about over here is the practical ramifications of this is that when you finish davening like this and you had this experience, the rest of your day is devoted to serving than rather than being served. The natural state of all of us is that we feel that we're the king of the universe. And everything has to come to serve us. And we're constantly that way. I'm always looking to satisfy. Who are we looking to satisfy all day long? Ourselves. Either with a piece of food, or with another thrill, or with this, or with that. Here we want attention. Here we want care. Here we want love. Here we want, here we want money. Here we want vacation. Here we want this. Here we want recognition. All day long we're looking for something. The, the I doesn't stop pumping. I am, I need, I want... I'm the king of my universe. That's, that's, that's the little animal with the crown hanging out in the heart. That's the reality. That's the reality of me and that's the reality of you unless you're at Tzadikis. Which I don't assume really we probably are. So we're regular people. We have a self, a powerful eye inside ourselves. When you daven like this and you reach this awareness during davening, you replace the animal inside of you with God. And then what becomes your drive? What, what is pumping in your heart all day? What's your motivation? What does Hashem want? What does Hashem need? How do I serve? Now, not how am I served, but how do I serve? Okay? So it comes out that as a result of this experience, you offer up your Yetzirah. What's the Yetzirah? The inclination that's crying out all day for attention is now going to become a servant, and that's called transforming darkness to light. Klippa becomes Kedusha. The Nefesh Baham is the animal soul that's part of the Klippa, has been converted to Kedush. The Asik, and that's when you're davening. Now, the Beis Amigdash, however, doesn't only have an altar. The Beis Amigdash has something even higher than an altar, which was even a greater vessel to God's light. What was even a greater vessel to God's light than the base, than the, than the, than the Mizbeach? What was even higher? The Aron. So what would mean the Aron? The Aaron has to be more than your heart during prayer. What happens is after you finish davening, and as a result of this consciousness, you say, you know what, I have to allow God's truth to manifest in me. In me. And, you, and you learn Torah. Precisely if it comes after such deep meditative prayer. When you study Torah, you enter into a whole different domain. Because when you're learning Torah the right way like this, what's the point of learning Torah? When you're learning Torah, you're emptying your consciousness of self completely. Because the words of Torah is what? What's the words of Torah? The words of Torah is Hashem's thoughts, Hashem's ideas. Basically, you know what happens to you right now? You become a channel. Literally, when you're learning Torah, you become, you're channeling. Imagine at a certain point, imagine this idea, that you can stop being you for a few moments. And right at this moment, the words, the thoughts you're thinking are not you thinking. The, it's almost like God is borrowing your brain to think His thoughts in your brain. Isn't that cool? You just rented your brain to God. Not only did you rent your brain to God, you rented your mouth to God. 
So the words that are coming out of your mouth are not your words, God's words. But over here it's not a rental. <laughs> you realize that that's the ultimate truth. The ultimate truth is your body is just a vehicle for God to express Himself. This is even higher than the Mizbeach. Because the Mizbeach, you're still struggling with surrendering your ego. It's still you surrendering. But when you're learning, you're already past that stage. You're no, you're already, you already hollowed yourself out. You're not there. You already shechted the animal. He's not there anymore. Now you're, in the, you're, you're, you're just like the Aron, where God's light is passing through. Hashem is passing through. Words of Torah coming through your mouth. Imagine hearing Torah from a tzaddik. A tzaddik, when he's... The problem is we can learn Torah with ego. I understand, I think, I say, I think this is a brilliant idea, isn't this cool? Like, wow, don't you think I'm smart? That's all chas v'shalem. That's not what Torah is. Torah is meant to be a place, a channel. Hashem's words are coming through you. And this is what he says. And when you're learning Torah Lishma, Lishma means for the right purpose. Not to, not to show how smart you are, or to be a big rabbi, or to have followers, or whatever it is. Then you become like the Aroin. The four cubits of Allah. It says that once, once the base of English was destroyed, Hashem doesn't have any other dwelling place in the world. Where does Hashem dwell after the base of English was destroyed? In the four cubits of Allah. When people study Allah, it's Hashem because they're communicating God, they're not communicating themselves. That's the idea. Oh, what's the bridge? When you say Shema Yisrael, you reached what? You're the ultimate Mizbeach. Vahaftas Hashem You shechted your Yetzahar. When you, when you learn Torah after davening, it's not you anymore, it's only God coming through you. You're channeling. The bridge between them is Shemona Esrei. Shemona Esrei, you reach a point, total fusion, you and Hashem. It's the time of Yichud. Here's the thing. After Shemona Esrei, when you're learning Torah, it's Hashem, not you. By davening, you're reaching the point when you're melting, you're seeking to melt in Him. And in Shemona Esrei is the Yichud. It's both of you together. It's the fusion. During the, the ultimate manifestation of Hashem revealing Himself in your soul is during Shemona Esrei. You're drawing down. Whenever you're saying Baruch Atta Hashem, you're saying let God be revealed in me. In the word, in the language of the Kabbalists, Shmoyne Esrei is called B'Shem Yechudim El Yoinim. Shmoyne Esrei is called supernal unifications. God is that at that moment revealing Himself from the surrounding state. Because as we said earlier, what is the surrounding state? When He Himself knows His truth, but His truth is not revealed in the space of any of His creations. That means he is surrounding. Him unifying with someone, meaning that that person is now opening up to allow God's truth to filter through him, the light to filter through him. When that happens, there is a unification of the solveiv and the mamale. That's called that union. It's called the zivug, the union. And that's happening by Shemayna Esrei. And that is, um, so that's the, the point of, 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 of oneness. Okay, so this is the ultimate objective. Now the Yalta Rebbe, however, is going to explain that Semach Tzedek, this is unbelievable, that in order for a person to get there by Shemona Esrei, 
to be able to get to such deep union. By Shemona Esrei, I'm learning, it doesn't just happen, boom, oh, I decide, well, I want it, this doesn't happen. You need hachana, you need preparation. Because you realize, it's not just up to us. It, it's not just up to us. As we make an effort from below, God has to meet our efforts from above. We will move the curtains as much as we can, but most of the curtains we need Hashem to move. And that process requires a certain, what we're going to see right now is that there's going to be a dance taking place. It's the Jew and God dancing together to make this happen. This is the, what we might call the romance that will lead up to the union. How does it happen? It begins with an embrace. The Jew has to be embraced with, from Hashem. And when two people are embracing, they embrace, they're locked together with their two arms. Okay? It's, each one is surrounding the other with their right arm and their left arm. This, this surrounding of us and Hashem with our right and left arm, these are four stages, as he's going to say, that prepare us for the union. In Iksiv it says in the Pasuk, and the first stage, the first thing we begin the process is removing the ash from the altar. Removing the ash from yesterday's karma, which we spoke about in the beginning of the class, that is phase number one in this process of unification. How in the world does that happen? So he explains. In Iksiv, what? Describing every Jew is able to do this if they will if they make a little hachana. To a certain degree, to a little degree. But we're all the, the Hasidus is saying, and obviously when Mashiach will come, we will all daven like this all the time. But now we're in Golas, we're Tzidrait, we have this thing called cell phone that buzzes and hucks in China all day long, and all kinds of other things, which we think is like the ultimate redemption of the human species. And ultimately, obviously, it's the ultimate imprisonment of the human species. But it's supposed to be like the ultimate redemption. We can't be without it. How many times does a person, I mean, people come to Shul and they say, they go running out quickly before that, oh, I forgot my phone at home. Okay, it's very good. <laughs> so you'll die. Can't. Can't. I gotta have my phone with me. In any case, he makes it, it says in the Pasuk, Smoy loy tachas his left hand is beneath my head. What he basically is going to explain, let me do it very quickly. He says now there, there, is, there is, in order to come to this union, the two that are unifying, which is us and Hashem, have to first grasp each other with their two arms. The union itself comes after this embrace. So there is the two arms of us, our right hand and our left hand, and then there is God's right hand and God's left hand. What this means is that there are four stages of right and left, left and right. And the order, the way it will work is like this. We will begin with, we start, with, we start by first exercising our left hand. That's our first step into the, into the service. Which is a, which as he translates, it means we have, to give, we have to crush our ego by looking at the mirror for a moment spiritually and saying, oh, what I'm seeing is not too, too good, not too wonderful. So you crush yourself. That's the first thing. 
Once you, you have to break your ego. If one wants, one wants to approach this experience with a powerful, inflated ego of self, and not only have I, am I such a great guy, but I'm actually going to experience union with God. Feh. It doesn't work. If a person has any bit of self-importance and that kind of sense when he's going to do this, you're out. You, you, you forget about it. You're, 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 you're finished before you start. So the first thing is, he's going to say, is the left hand. It's a certain crush that one has to give themselves to begin. That's the left hand because left means judgment. You have to bring harsh on yourself and break down a little bit. Have a broken heart. From the broken heart, then, then you will start from that brokenness. You will start seeking a relationship with God. That's your right hand. With your stimulating love, you're trying to get close. Then you will experience God's love because when you, when you try to love Hashem and draw yourself closer, closer and closer, at a certain point, God will take over. And you will start being pulled into Hashem's light with a pull that's not totally outside of your control. You're suddenly feeling a revelation of Hashem beaming the warmth of God's glow on your soul. It's much deeper than any human, than anything you could have possibly created through your own meditation. So again, we moved from the left, your left hand to your right hand to God's right hand. And finally, when you reach the ultimate. Um, the highest level, you will suddenly experience a powerful, powerful, trembling fear and awe of Hashem. That comes after the love, after the attraction. And you're being attracted and you're yearning and getting closer and closer and closer and suddenly, boom! Because when you're standing in front of the king, bango. The fear over here, however, is not based on your perceptions. The fear is based on God really revealing Himself to you that is the highest. And that's before the union. And after that comes the union of the soul with Hashem. This is the... So let me explain how this works. This corresponds to the four letters of God's name. First there is the hey of Hashem's name. The latter hey. There's yud kei vav kei. We're working our way from the bottom up. So the first thing we have to encounter is the bottom hey of Hashem's name. Which that comes through as we say, the left, the left hand, the crush. Then the vav of Hashem's name comes through our love. We're going to see soon. Then we move higher to God's love. That's the upper hay, that's the bina, which is Hashem's love pulling you in. And finally, you, you encounter chachma. Chachma is the power of bittel. You become absolutely aware of God's power and Hashem's might. And you become tiny, small. You become like nullified. This is not a nullification that you're crushing yourself. You're nullified by Hashem's light. After that, one can experience Hashem's total fusion with God. Let's read inside. Before there can be the yichud, the unification, the shmona esrei of shmona esrei, first, there has to be a chibuk, an embrace which is bichlal, the idea, that before any intimacy, there's first a hug and embrace. ahava. This is the revelation of love. V'gam, so, so the, the embrace is the love, but that's v'yaminoit chapkeni, God is embracing us. But before that it says his left hand, before the right hand comes the left. V'gam t'chila, and even before that, tzadachli is b'chenas you need to have Hashem's left hand. 
It's what the sages say, the left hand pushes you away. The left hand rejects the yamin mekareves and the right hand brings close. So what does that mean in our service? When we, when, we, when we evoke the left hand, we bring ourselves to a rejection. He says an interesting idea. The pasuk that says that Hashem's left hand is beneath my head is repeated two times. In Shira Shirim it says twice. His left hand is beneath my head and his right hand embraces me. Why is it repeated twice? Because there's two left hands and there's two right hands. What are the two left hands and what are the two right hands? If we're embracing and we're being embraced, so there's our two hands and there's God's two hands. There's the two hands of the mashpia, which is Hashem, and there's the two hands of the makabel, which is the recipient, which is us. There's two types, times the right and two times left. Now it says, in the Shabbos Miris of Friday night, we say, the right hand and the left hand, and in between them is the, is, the, is the bride. What does that mean? That in order to be a bride, and bride represents the ultimate, the yichud, the union, the bride has a union with her husband. In order for her to reach that union, she first needs to go through the embrace of the right and the left. There is the right and the hand. Mashpia is in Hashem. And also in the recipient. This is really gewaldic. Where do we find such a thing that there is four hands? Four hands. So we, one idea that he said that there are four hands is derived from where? In Shira Shirim it says two times the Pasuk. His left hand is beneath my head. And his right hand embraces me. Since it says it twice. So we're speaking of two right hands and two left hands. But he's giving another idea for this. It says that Yosef Atzadik in Mitzrayim is texting, is, is speaking to the people when the people needed food. There was a famine. And the people came to Paro. Or they came to Yosef to buy. And they used up all their money. And they also already brought all their cattle. And they sold all their cattle. Yeah? The people sold all their... All their the people sold all their possessions. Right? The following? And they sold all their cattle. And then they went and they sold... till they sold themselves. They sold their... And, and Paro, through Yosef, bought all private real estate. Everything belonged to him. Including the people too. Everything belongs to Paro. Now Yosef goes and gives them seeds to plant the land. And he says, but there's going to be a tax. Since now you're not privately, since now you all belong to the Pharaoh, then what happens? The way we're going to work it out is like this. You're going to plant your seed, your, 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 your crop. One-fifth is tax. That means 20% you have to give to the king. And 80% you can keep. That was the deal that Yosef made. 20% tax, and 80% everybody can keep. The way Yosef said it was, he said, Arba yados, the four hands, Yelochem should be to you. Vahamishis, and the fifth one, Leparo to Paro. Why is Yosef using the terms Arba yados, four hands? He's alluding to 
these four hands, the two right hands and the two left hands. What does it have to do with Yosef? What does it have to do with Yosef and, and the Egyptians? The answer is very simple. The people coming to Yosef are the souls that are seeking. Yosef is the tzaddik. Yosef is the hashpa. He's the influencer of godly light into the world. The people are stuck in Egypt. They're referring to all the people that are hungering for food. They're hungering for the union. They're hungering to come out of Egypt. They're hungering from the constrictions. So Yosef says to them, Arba Yodais, there's four experiences of hand, Yielachem, when you're still you. But the fifth one, at the fifth level, you become totally unified with Paro. What's Paro? Paro is a really bad guy. But Paro in Kabbalah and Paro in Zohar represents God's infinite light. Because the Zohar says that Paro means where all light comes from. So he says to him, in order to get to the fifth level, First you have our yados, you have four hands, you got to work through the four hands. The four hands are what? Who would have ever thought that, right? The, who would have ever learned to Chumash and thought that over here in this dialogue between Yosef and Mitzrayim, it's God having a dialogue with all the Jewish souls. And saying when you want to unify with me, there's a process over here. What's the process? You have to go through four, sta- four stages. Two stages of left hand, Two stages of rejection, so to speak, and two stages of, of, of close. The right is close, and the left is, is distance. Two, two phases of, of closeness and two phases of distance. Now he begins to explain what they are. So let's read. These are the four hands that are to you. But the level of the fifth one is the paray. Who etzem hayichud. That's the yichud itself. That's the intimacy. That's already coming up in the level where there's no more right and left. That's on the level of keser, the innermost. Okay. He says the unification itself is higher than the two arms. They are just a preparation. Okay, let's continue. But let's see the practice. The, the mimer is a little difficult till now. It gets much easier now. The explanation of the matter. What are these four hands? What's the process? The first element of the left side is what we begin with. If you want to start connect, if you want to start and come close to Hashem, the first thing you need to do is do tshuva. You need to do tshuva, meaning you need to look into yourself and see what did I do wrong. And when you do that tshuva, you first do a purification, do a cleansing. And, and that's why, for this reason, what did most yidden, spiritual sensitive Jews who lived 100 years ago, 70, 80 years ago, and then for all thousands of years, spiritual sensitive Jews who were seeking a deep connection to God wouldn't wake up 7, 8 o'clock in the morning would all wake up, they would rise 12 o'clock midnight. It was a little easier those days because you went to sleep like at 7 o'clock at night because the, the, there was, there was, you know, it was dark, there was no electricity and kind of not much happening. Unless you went to the local tavern which you didn't want to hang out as a Jew. So you kind of stayed home. And, so 7 o'clock at night you went to sleep, 8 o'clock, they'd wake up 12 o'clock midnight. What did you do? You sat on the floor and you lamented for the destruction of the temple. 
But those who are really spiritually inclined realize that when we're talking about destruction of the temple, we're not talking about just the temple in Jerusalem. It's your own destruction of your own temple. Because why is godliness not revealed in my soul? And they would look into themselves and do a serious reckoning. Maybe I'm too much into my clothing. Maybe I'm too much into my eating. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not careful with this. They did shuva. And they cried. They wept for the mistakes and the faults and the whatever else they had. They cleansed themselves. They do, we do this nightly. And the Rebbe says over here, if someone can't do it nightly, he says you have to do it from time to time. Can't go without reckoning. Because you have to clean. If you're not clean, the Shekhinah can't reveal himself in a filthy place. So a person has to do tshuva. And he brings the idea of Tikkun Chatzais is what the Zohar says, Marad Chushpana. Marad Chushpana means people of accounting. Masters of accounting. They're masters of accounting. Because the Altar Rebbe explains what that means, the person be able to take an account on all the thoughts that he had during the day. Imagine at night before you go to sleep, sit down and think, I want to think about what were all my thoughts that, went, that happened in my head today. How many of those thoughts were holy? And how many of those thoughts were absolutely ludicrous? Ridiculous, insane, silly that I would be embarrassed that anybody heard them. Most of us think ridiculous thoughts all the time. So when a person realizes that the amount of vanity the amount of silliness, the amount of stupidity that goes in their thoughts. And, and this is a holy Jew with a holy brain. I could have used it to bring God in. I could have studied Torah every spare moment. I could have said to heal him every spare moment. I could have been such a keli for the Abishter, and I'm busy with such narishkeit, with such stupidity. When you do that calculation, what happens? You become a little bitter. You become a little heartbroken. Right? You realize... You realize there's such a missed opportunity. So that's the idea of al of how distant I am from God. If you can't get up every night, so do it at least twice a week or something. So if you can't do it at night, he says, you still have to do it every morning. But he says, do it then early morning. The sages say, we don't get up to Davin only from a heavy head. A heavy head means this kind of a seriousness and this kind of a... You bring yourself to a submission. And you're frustrated and disgusted with oneself. On my distance. How distant I am from Hashem. Now, even though one could ask, hold it, I learned so much Torah, I'm such a scholar, I did so much mitzvahs, I'm such a good person, I try to be a good person, I'm so good, I'm such a good person. Right, people? I see myself as a pretty good person. That's true, you're a wonderful good person. There's a lot of Torah and a lot of mitzvahs. This is good. Here's the thing, what he wants to say. If you want to stop, be a good Jew and go to Gan Eden and have a, you don't have to do this. You do this for Shoshana Yom Kippur, it's good enough. But if you want to seek intimacy with God, if you want to be a Beis Hamikdash, if you want to be, if you want to experience this deeper, innermost connection of your soul with Hashem, 
cannot move your soul into this place unless you first have a crush. Because here's the idea. The biggest obstacle for godly revelation is ego. So if you don't, so that blocks. So therefore, if you give your ego a good zets right at the beginning, bang, you make a hole, you deflate the ego. That's the first thing. Now you can start already, once it's soft, it's, there's a broken heart, the abishter can enter. God can enter into a cracked heart. It's just the way it is. Sometimes we all know that we, we experience the deepest and highest spirituality after we experience some kind of a, cr- a crack in our ego. If someone, if someone, someone, someone was hoping for something like they were expecting to win something or to be nominated for something or be the ultimate this and they were expecting to get the job or who knows what and they got such a trask and they're so broken. And we all know that a lot of times the highest and deepest spirituality comes dafka after a break. It's very dangerous. Either you can fall into depression or that fall and that break and that crushed heart can lead you to the greatest heights. So the person has to be careful when you go through a fall. Because the fall, it can, it, God forbid if you don't grab the moment to be elevated, you can wallow in that darkness for a long time. And that's part of what he talks about later, that this, this experience of sadness before davening, we have to be very careful about it. That's why we only take one shovel full of ashes. You getting the idea a little bit? One shovel full of ashes. The rest of the sadness and the ashes we're going to see soon has to do with the sadness, with this breaking. So only one shovel full. And that you put on the side of the altar, that becomes part of your service. But the rest of the ashes, which is the rest of the sadness, if you want, once you start enjoying, <laughs> once you start enjoying and wallowing in the sadness, then how terrible you are. And you really start, being, oh, that can become, God forbid, the biggest trap of the Sahara. So the rest of the ashes you have to take out, outside of the camp. Throw it out of your consciousness. You have to go to this place of brokenheartedness, but as soon as you get there, you've done your mitzvah. You've done your job. You've done your truma sadesh. Don't continue, don't continue wallowing in your ash. We'll see why it's called ash soon, and we're going to get to all of that. Yes? That's right. In order to build your Mizbeach, in order to put new wood on your Mizbeach and a new fire on your on Mizbeach, which will ultimately bring God down for the union on the Mizbeach, you need that one shovel full to get it started. The, the Avod and the Beis Hamidish did not start any day. Even Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, Lagbomer, Purim, didn't make a difference which day it was. It always began with the Kohen going up and taking one shovel full of ashes and putting... That's 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 right. That's look. That's that's finding that 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 sadness, not the sadness, but a bitterness that crushes the person. That that has to do with the ashes, as we'll soon see. Um, as he says, a person has to come to a heavy head, which means that because a person can make a simple. And the Rebbe is really dealing with a person who really has nothing to be broken about. They don't have all the shtos. They didn't sit and sin. They didn't do avera. They didn't sin. They didn't, they didn't even waste their time. He's talking about a person who learned Torah and did mitzvahs. Pretty awesome. Pretty tzaddik. Yet even this person needs to do it. So what is he going to be sad about? So he explains. Because you can even be sad about the fact 
that your love and your fear that you experience during davening, let's say you're really meditating and you davened, ah, you had a really good spiritual day. Wonderful. But you know what? You ask yourself the question, why is my love and fear, that the love of Hashem and fear Hashem only experienced during davening? And then two, three hours later it wears off and it's gone. What is that a sign? Am I truly, truly, truly in love with God? When you're in love with someone, really, really, you don't stop thinking about them all day long. You're infatuated with that, with that individual. So the fact that you're, that, 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 that what's it called again, it's called, it, it enters very strongly maybe during davening, but that it's a gone, maybe that I should question the validity of that love. He says, the love and the fear, to me this cloud is not consistent. Ragdayon shaton. They only exist for that period of time. And afterwards it is exchanged and it leaves. Vahareik siv. And because of that, what is that a proof? Svas emes tikoin. That the language of truth, tikon la'ad, lasts forever. And then the Pasik says, Vaadar gia, but if it if it dissipates. Va'adar gia, if it if it calms down and it's gone, what what does the pasuk say? Lashon sheker, that's the tongue of, it's the tongue of falsehood. So God forbid the person is questioning their very love and fear. Is it ms? Is it true or is it just fantasy that I thought I'm loving Hashem? Uksiv, okay, maybe it's not so true, but I'm still I'm loving. <laughs> what does it say in davening? Karei Hashem, God is close to who? to all those who call, call out to him. What's the next words in the Pasuk? Whoever calls out to him, be'emes in truth. But since my love and my fear are not truth, and how do I know it's not true? Because it wore off after davening. It disappeared. A few hours later, I'm, 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 I'm loving other things. I'm not loving God. I totally forgot about Hashem. So that means that my love is not true. So I'm not calling out to God in truth. And if I'm not calling out to God in truth, He's not close to me. Karev Hashem. Hashem is close to those who call Him in truth. So this, is, this should make a person sad. Not sad, but um, broken. But Eksiv, yeah. This will cause a person to be humble. And this is the idea that we begin, what did we say earlier? The left hand rejects. This is the rejection that we're supposed to start with. What's the benefit? Why, why is this the Seder? It seems like so, doesn't seem like, wouldn't it be good if we can have spirituality without this crush? Why do we need to have this crush? Why is it, why is it, why is it an integral part of your, of your service? It's like on the Pesach Seder plate, there is murder. It seems like you can't get anywhere. You, Pesach means to leap. Pesach means to leap. So you have the carbon Pesach. Matzah is faith. I understand. These are all beautiful things. Murder, bitterness? Why? And the answer is you can't move without that bitterness. The bitterness pushes you, propels you. Why? So he explains it over here. Let's go back to Shira Shirim. What does it say in the Pasuk? His left hand is beneath my head. That means God's left hand. When God, 
when we experience a, a sense of distance, that's what the left hand is, a brokenness that comes as a result of distance, we shouldn't think that that's really chas v'shalem distance. It's not, God forbid, a true distance. Smoy loy Hashem's left hand, tachas l'roishi, is under my head. You know what that means? It's meant to help me lift my head. How am I going to lift my neshama up? How am I going to lift my head to connect to God? So I need first, I need my left hand, and that's tachas l'roishi, that's beneath my head, that helps me lift my head. Ach, smoyloi tachas l'roishi, this will bring us to an elevated head. Why? So I, here he says something in a mimer that I've never seen before. It's so beautiful. Why do you need the crush in order to elevate your head? Remember we said before, where does God residing before? Anywhere that's not in the base of Mingdash, where is Hashem residing? In the Sovev, He's surrounding. That means he's outside of our consciousness. He's, he's, he, even though he's everywhere, but in as much as we're concerned, he's, he's, he's like outside of us because his truth is not revealed to us. What's the point of the Beis HaMikdash? That there is a Yichud. What's the Yichud? Follow. What's the Yichud? The Yichud is that the Sovev, the surrounding light, the surrounding truth of God, reveals itself inside someone's heart or inside the Beis HaMikdash. So comes out that what we're trying to do during davening is we're trying to reach the light of the Sovev Kalaman. The light that's not revealed within creation. Now if we're going to look at the word Sovev, Sovev means surrounding, and, and we use it, let's use an example of, physical example of a sphere, of a circle. So when you have a circle, so the circle surrounds something. So how do you get to the to the how do you get around to the circle? How do you get around? So you can go to either direction. But the, the quickest way really is to go down. I mean, obviously, if you're right in the center of the circle, you're equal to each, each direction. What he's saying is like this. When a person crushes themselves and they go down, they, they fall fallen by themselves... So that's when they hit rock bottom. When they're hitting rock bottom, they're coming to the sovev. They're touching the sovev. In other words, in a broken, in a broken heart, when I'm feeling lowly and broken with myself, I'm the closest to that light. It's, it's, but here's the thing. It's amazing. You know how terrible it is when people get broken? And when they're broken, they're the closest to godly revelation. But sometimes they just miss it. They're there. They're at the bottom. And right when they're at the bottom, what's, what's surrounding? What's cradling the bottom? The soul of Kalam, the infinite light of God. If we're smart, every time we have a fall and we have a broken heart, we, we realize that in the brokenness, God can reveal Himself. In a completion, God doesn't reveal Himself. But in brokenness, He does. Because when I'm broken, I fall to the bottom. And... Where's the circle? The circle comes around. Now you say I can go to the top too. Huh? To go to the top is an infinite journey. Go higher. How high can you go? But when you fall, you fall to the bottom. So he says, that's why. Let's hear the words. 
Because through this that you push yourself down below, you become close to the sovev kalalman, which is the level of mitachas roas oilam. The imagery the, the Paso gives is the world is a globe, and God's arms here, you hear? The Pasuk says the world is a globe and Hashem's hands are holding it like this. So mitachas, from beneath, zroyos are the arms that are holding the world. So if you push yourself down and you get down to the bottom, who are you being cradled by? Are the two, by Hashem's hands. That's why in the beginning of your day, if you bring yourself to a crush and to a brokenness, you're very close. If chas v'shalom, you want to do it without the brokenness, you might be swimming in this middle space and never get to the revelation of the sea. Like the circle that surrounds from below. Good. So it comes out that the entire, the only reason why we get broken the whole purpose of the crush is for what purpose? To lift ourselves up. It's not chas v'shalom. The point is not chas v'shalom to go down and stay down. The point is to go down so that we can, we can use the energy and the brokenness to open ourselves up for the great revelation. When does the revelation happen? When does the elevation happen? You start by davening. See, this is not part of davening. Davening has to be done besimcha. A broken heart is supposed to be done before davening. Davening itself must be with joy. You need to change the mood. Only from joy. That means before davening, earlier, there is a tshuva mood. There is a sense of contrition, a sense of regret, a sense of frustration, and a sense of disgust with oneself. Once you feel that and you have a broken heart, then you start davening and you say, True, I am far and I'm distant, but that's the only reason why I should start trying to get close. And this elevation begins during Sukkah de Zimra. Sukkah de Zimra is the verses of song. Because that's when a person begins to contemplate. In the greatness of the Ein Saif, now as you begin the journey of meditation. How God spoke and the world came into existence. And that God renews every moment the work and the work of creation. Meaning that first of all, that the worlds are created by Hashem's words. Secondly, that Hashem is constantly recreating every second. And then you take another, another interesting to, to ponder. That when Hashem creates heaven and earth, the energy that is emanating from Him to create is only a tiny little ray of Him. It's not His real power. It's only a ray of a ray. And then you continue. That's what you have in mind during Psuke de Zimra. From Baruch Sha'amar until Yishtabach, you concentrate on these three themes. What are the three themes? Number one, all of existence that I see, hear, smell, touch, feel, and I know about, is all created by Hashem's words. Baruch Sha'amar, Hashem is speaking them into existence. Number two, 
God continuously creates the worlds. Continuously. It's not just Hamachadish Betuva. He's continuously creating. Number three, this entire project of creation, as glamorous, as magnificent, how spectacular that it is, it's only from a tiny little ray of a ray of a ray of his light. And as we spoke earlier, a ray that's totally non-existent and nullified in Hashem's truth. But then you take the meditation a little further. And when you get to the part after Baruch to the part of Yotzer Or, the one who creates light, you start meditating. You meditate about the angels and the holy beasts. Misnats and how they raise themselves up, rash, with a tremendous tumlet. When you think about how the angels, they're so excited and they're thirsting for God's light. And they're all constantly, um, they're, constant, they're making such a ruckus because they're so excited. And you think about these angels being powerful, supreme beings, awesome beings. Yet, they're obsessed, literally they're obsessing all day on God's light. They want to get a little closer to perceive, to have a little more revelation. When you realize all of this, what does that draw down? This will create an excitement in your soul, which you suddenly will experience a desire to race. Your soul is pulling upward. It wants to cleave, it wants to connect, it wants to attach. Like it says, by Avram Avinu. That Avram Avinu was traveling the whole time. Where was Avram traveling? Hanegba to the south. Meaning, but what does it say? Meaning he was, he was getting more and more excited. South is love. Chesed is on the right, is, is, the south is on the right side, is Chesed. So he was moving to the right, meaning he was moving more and more to the south, getting out of Mitzrayim. Vayal Avram in Mitzrayim, and Avram kept on going out of Egypt. Egypt means constrictions. He was expanding his consciousness, getting deeper in love with God. From all these constrictions and all these limitations. And Avram's love was growing so much. In the beginning, Avram was seeking spiritual light. Then Avram realized that spiritual light is not really too interesting. It's very, very, it's very nothing. There's something much greater. Then Avram wanted even a more brighter light. Then Avram realized that even that brighter light is really nothing. Then he wanted God, he wanted to experience the divine. Then Avram realized that even the divine, the divinity that is shining in the higher worlds are, not, are, are just a tiny little nothing. And Avram wanted something higher. Till he reached the point... Until Avram reaches a point that what? You hear follow. Until Avram reaches a point that he doesn't want anything but God himself. Don't give me all the revelations that you have in Gan Eden. Don't give me all the revelations that there are in the higher Gan Eden. I don't want anything, I only want you. That's the ultimate love. Right? I don't want anything. And that's the right hand. So you see what happened? We moved from the left hand. We moved to what? To the right hand. This is fear, and then, then love. You started with fear. Now, even though we didn't speak about fear, what did he speak about? He spoke about rejection. 
crushing, but it's related to fear, similar to fear. And then from the fear you move on to what? You move on to love. This is the fear and the love. But these are the fear and the awe that the person has stimulated by himself. That the person has evoked within himself. And this is called This is the right hand and the left hand of who? Of the recipient. Because the person is stimulating it. You're putting yourself down and then you're creating within yourself an attraction to Hashem. So you're working through the left and then through the light. This is the female, the female's two hands, the feminine, the, the hands of the of the recipient. And in this level, who comes first? Fear or love? The order of the hands, what's first? First fear, then love. Meaning first the first the crush and then the then the attraction. The fear comes first. But then it turns around the other way when God is extending his two hands. Which hand of Hashem do we experience first? When Hashem, first we experience Hashem's love, and when Hashem draws us close and we're suddenly standing face to face, then suddenly we, we're, 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 a powerful, powerful fear is cast upon the person. And then there's love and fear. That come from above. How do we know that? When it says, Vahafta, you should love God, the Kabbalists tell us that the word Vahafta is gematria exactly 414. Vahafta is 414, which is two times 207. 207 times 2 is 440. Now, how much is two? What's 207? 207 is the gematria of or light. Now light and love are connected to each other. If we say vahafta is two times or, which is the word light, so two times light means two times love. What are the two loves? It's telling you to love God with your love, and then it's saying love God with God's love. How can I love God with God's love? I can only love you with my love. I can't love you with your love. And the answer is no. Because when we love Hashem so much, suddenly Hashem opens us up to feel His love. And when we feel His love, then the pull that is with me, that's what happened with Nadav and Avil. They felt God's love to them, the powerful love, and they couldn't resist the ecstasy and the, and the, and the sweetness of it. And they, and they just blew a fuse. They were just drawn into it and they couldn't hold back. But that's the meaning of Ahafta Beis Pamemor. So, Beis Pamemor. Then Beis Parshio Shema Vahoyim Shemoya. And now God's love, see, until, here's the thing, until Shimon Esrei, who's, who's paddling the boat? Whose two oars is it? It's us. We're the paddlers. The left hand, we're crushing ourselves. With the right hand, we're meditating on godliness and bringing ourselves to the love. And at a certain point, Hashem starts paddling. When does Hashem paddle? When it comes to Shema and Vahoyah Shemaya. Shema is the energy of God's love. Vahoyah Shemaya is the energy of God's left hand. Gevura. Fear. Yes, that's... Um, hold on. 
And base parsha shema v'lohim shemayaki shema b'chinas chesed va'ava and love. And shemayim shemaya is fear. We'll see in a minute. For now he's going back to the love, but there's two loves we said. And you can also see that there's two loves. In addition to this, that va'hafta is gematria four fourteen, which is two times light, which means there's two types of love: love from below and love from above. There's another Indian over here that you can see that in va'hafta there's two, there's two, there's two loves: your love and Hashem's love. How do you see that? The love of the recipient and the love of the mashpia, of the influencer. How do you see? Because the actual translation of the word va'hafta means. It can be translated as vahafta, and you should love. You should love. And vahafta can also mean a promise. Vahafta es Hashem elokecha. You will love God your God. It's a promise. You will love. What's the difference between these two pirush? If it means you should or you will, you should means it's a commandment on you. You gotta do what it takes to love. What does it take to love? Meditate. Think. Think about things that are gonna bring you love. You will love means take it easy. You'll see you will love. How is that going to happen? Because God is going to shine His love upon you and you won't be able to resist His, his pull, His attraction. So that's what the why Vahafta has two meanings because in the Vahafta is the two types light. One light is the light from the person and the other light is the light coming from Hashem. So the light coming from Hashem is not up to us to do. We can only be recipients. Passive recipients. We're just drawn into it. So that's what the Pasuk is saying. You will love. You don't have to do anything. You will love. It will happen. But when will it happen? If you do first your love, then God will show His, his love to you. And how do you, how do you fulfill that commandment? To love. Through Shema. What does Shema mean? Listen. Hear. Meditate. Think. Vahafta means a promise. You're going to come to the love that's coming from above. And afterwards, Vahoyam Shemoya has to do with Shemiyah hearing. And that is related to fear. How do you know that hearing is related to fear? It says in the Pasuk, when Shimon was born, it says, Leah said, Kishama Hashem, Hashem heard Kisnua Anoichi that I am disliked. So you see that the idea of dislike, which is the idea of what we spoke about earlier, the crush, the distance, is related to hearing. Vision is related more to love. Ruvain is more connected to love. And Shimon is more connected to fear. Kisnua Anoichi, This is the idea. What's the idea? The idea of is not a rejection over here. Oh, but the, what is he talking about over here? He's talking about over here, however, the fear that comes from above. Not the fear that we create. That we spoke about earlier, the crushing that you crush yourself. But we're talking about fear that causes distance from above. Oh, al-derech, this is what it says, similar to what it says by Matan Torah, that when God revealed Himself, all the people saw, and they got so terrified, Vayanu, they trembled. Vayamdu merachok, and they stood at a distance. Vayaraam, vayanu, vayamdu merachok, and they stood at a distance. This is the revelation from above, causing us to to to, to fall back. As we learned that mimer a few years ago. 
And this is the idea that we stood at a distance. Come on, we did this already. And this is the right and the left. That is coming from above. God is sticking out his two hands. And in this level, the right comes before the left. The left is the higher fear. Shalamayla, that is even higher, even than the higher love. Kenoidat, as it is known, this is what I mentioned earlier in the, in the beginning, the Seder Oisiyah is the Shem Avaya. The order of the letters of God's name is that the latter hey is fear. You begin with fear. Then you graduate to love, which is the Vav. Then you go higher to the higher love, which is the hey. And you get to the highest of the high, which is the yud, which is the fear. But this is the higher fear, not the lower fear. This is fear that you can't create. It's fear that comes from the king suddenly walks in on you. When the king walks in on a person, whoa, it's thrown upon you. It's not, it's not you can't create it. This is what the Zohar says, the order is, first, love, I'm sorry, means fear. Rechimu and love. Rechimu and then love. Rechilu and then fear. You know where you find this? You want to know where you find this? Kishmaka Indian? That the two fears are not connected to each other, but the two loves are connected. The way the order is fear, love, love, fear. You want to see a cool remez for that? Eile toldos Yitzchak ben Avram. Avram hoilid as Yitzchak. So we know Yitzchak is fear, and Avram is love. So look at the two names. The Eila told us Yitzchak ben Avraham. Avraham hoilid as Yitzchak. The Yitzchaks are separated, one at the beginning and one at the end, and in the middle is the two Avrams. Avram, Avram. We keep the the uh, the Yitzchaks apart. Nechlal in the Torah, you're never going to find two times the name Yitzchak together. Yitzchak, Yitzchak, it doesn't say. By the Akedah that says Avraham, Avraham, two times Avraham. By Yaakov, it also says Yaakov, Yaakov. But by Yitzchak, never. Because the Gevuris, we can't have them connected to each other. The fear also. Fear at the beginning, two levels of love, and then the fear at the end. Um, and on these two levels of fear it says what, what do you mean the second fear the fear that comes from above and the fear that comes so there's two psukim it's not just more see what he wants to say is before davening you experience a certain fear that's interesting the mimer is a little interesting because when I say a little interesting meaning it's a little there's something that needs a little clarification that's what I mean is that he's talking now, and these two fears are what it says. But he never spoke about the first fear. You realize in the beginning when he spoke about the left side, the left side rejecting, he didn't speak of it as fear. He spoke of it as crushing ourselves, feeling distant. But it's in the same avenue as fear. Because just like fear is what? When you fear someone, what does it cause you to do? To, to move back, to be scared, to move to a distance. Same thing when you take yourself to task and you do a chesh ben and you feel far, it's in the same, 
It's the same energy as fear. They both come from Gevura. That's the idea. So the difference, however, between the two fears. But in fear also, there's a lower fear. A fear that a person creates. And there's a fear that comes from, not from what you're creating, but from Hashem shining in your neshama. And suddenly you realize this power and you're afraid. What's the difference between these two fears? Fear that is created from below and fear that comes from above. It's two, there's two psukim. In one pasuk it says, Yiru Mahashem kol ha'aretz. Fear from God the entire land. Implying that everybody can fear God. Yiru Mahashem kol ha'aretz. There's another pasuk. It says, Yiru es Hashem, fear God, Kedoshav, His holy ones. Implying that who can fear God? Only His holy ones. Only tzaddikim. So what's the difference? How come over here, Yiru Mahashem kol ha'aretz, and here, Yiru Hashem, Kedosh. And the answer is, two levels of fear. There's, a, there's the fear that we look at God as a creator, as the power of creator. Everybody can come to that fear. Kalaretz. But then there's a higher fear, which is only Kedoshav, because only where God reveals Himself into the person, it requires that the person should experience a divine revelation. And that brings him to the higher fear. Now, but and he points out to another difference between these two psukim. In the first pasuk where it says Yiru, it says Yiru Mehashem Kolaaretz. In the second pasuk, it says Yiru Es Hashem. What's the difference between Yiru Mehashem and Yiru Es Hashem? Yiru Mehashem means a certain distance. There's God, and I'm afraid of Him. Yiru Es Es. Whenever the the S means something becomes totally nullified to something else. It's called S. This blue, blue label is S, S the bottle. Because it's secondary. It's a, it's a, when I'm buying water, I see the water. I'm not noticing, I'm not looking for, I mean, for me, I mean, obviously I know what I'm, this cap, I make it even better. Not the cap. The cap is a cap. This little piece of smidget plastic over here, that's, it's totally S to the bottle because it's not needed. It's only there as part of the cap. When I screw off the cap, so in order to keep the cap locked before I buy it, I have that piece. So it's an entity, it's a metzias. Oh, Baruch Hashem, we have to have the... I called my wife earlier when we were learning. I make my wife totally meshuga. I'm sorry, I'm making a confession now. I'm learning over here two, three hours. She's cooking for Shabbos. I call her up and I tell her, ah, you hear what's going on? Women are full of gavuris. That's what it says in the Bible. And the men have to sweeten the gavuris of the women. So I'm telling her that all the calmness comes from me. All the nervousness comes from you. Whenever I get nervous, it's your fault because the gavuris come from the woman. Whenever you're calm, it's because of me. Because all the chasadim and the calmness comes from the men. She said, are you really calling me now to tell me this? I said, that's what I'm learning in the Maimar. That's the Maimar I didn't teach today. I was talking about all about the, 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 the gavuris of the, of, the, of the female side and the chasadim on the male side. We're learning here the whole night. And there's only the gavuris over here. That's why I'm getting hoarse. And there's, there's too many tzimtzumim. I needed a little espashtas. The men didn't show up today. Yossi, Baruch Hashem, you came. Okay, now it's going to be a whole different Maimar. Now I can sit straight. Azoi. We're holding page tough, tough. 
Can you believe that? Tough, tough, two times tough. And now, he says it's tough Gavudas. That's what it was. It's tough. And then we're holding, we're coming to tough, tough Aleph. The Aleph is the illumination to illuminate the toughness. Okay. Any case, back to what we're learning. Um, where was I saying? Oh, so this Shmichik over here, I'm sorry, going back to it, is totally S. It's Esteban. So Yiru Me Hashem means, to fear from God means, it's God, I'm me, I fear Him. Yiru S Hashem means you become a total S. You become so, out of the fear, you become so nullified you, to the point of non-existent. S is secondary. And that can only come from, you fear God, not because you're imagining Him, but because Hashem reveals Himself to your soul. And that's why over here it says also, Kiddoy Shav, only those holy ones. You're far. Well, that can be Kala Aretz, the entire land. That's the lower fear. The entire land. To the point that you become totally nullified. Who Kedosh of Dafka is Dafka the Holy Ones. So we would think, we're talking about the Balshemtiv. Holy Ones. It says about the Balshemtiv that he experienced such fear from God, such awe and such fear. I forgot the Lushan that it says that when he would, when, when he would, then he would stand in the room and he would daven, the table would start trembling and shivering. Table with not because he was shaking it. The fear was projected in the room that the table started trembling like a person shivering in cold when it was next to the Balshemtiv. And it says that the Balshemtiv was able to draw down Yira Ilah, the high fear, into a stone. He was able to project, make a stone tremble in awe in front of God. So we would think, well, that's what we're talking about. Yiru as Hashem Kedoshav. Kedoshav, these tzaddikim. They stood before God and they experienced, and they, like by Har Sinai, the Jewish people were shaking like leaves. Oh, so the Rebbe says, no, 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 no. How do you become Kedoshav? When you do a lot of Asher Kedishanu, when you do a lot of mitzvahs, every mitzvah draws God into your soul. You try, you're right. This fear can only come by God revealing Himself to your, in your nefesh. But how does God reveal Himself in your nefesh? That's through every mitzvah. Because every mitzvah is asher kiddishanu. If you do a lot of asher kiddishanu, you become kiddushan. Because you've assimilated the divine limbs into your limbs. 248 limbs of the king become it. And now God can reveal Himself inside of you. So as He says over here, um, but the main point is you need a mitzvah. That's the nekud over here. You need God to give you. What's a mitzvah? A mitzvah is Hashem channeling in you. You can't do it. In other words, without mitzvahs, you can never experience it. Because then you're going to have to create it from your own imagination. From your own imagination, you can at best accomplish Yiru Me Hashem. Fearing from God, you can't experience Yiru Es Hashem. Yiru Es Hashem, you need a Hizgalos. You need a revelation from above. And that comes through mitzvahs, because the mitzvahs are in Hizgalos, in a revelation of the Ebesh. The fulfillment of the 248 mitzvahs, 
Asher Kedishon, that Hashem sanctified us with His mitzvahs, Shal Yedei Zen Nimshach Yirezu Ilah. Through this, this higher fear comes upon a person. V'zehu Inyan, and this is the idea of Neravaya Nishmas Adam. The candle of God. This is the meaning of Neravaya Nishmas Adam. So what does that mean, Neravaya Nishmas Adam? The candle of God is the flame of man. Heramaisa. The lamp of God. The soul of man, I'm sorry, is the, flame, is, a, is the lamp of God. When we do all 248 mitzvahs, this is so beautiful. When we do two, all 248 mitzvahs, so then the person now assimilated God's limbs in his body. 248. As a result of that, what... What comes as a result of Hashem's love? Hashem channels down love and fear because once you've caused godly revelation inside of you, then you can also receive what the revelation of love and fear coming from above, Hashem's right hand and Hashem's left hand. So now, what happens to you? Two forty-eight plus two. It's two hundred fifty. How much is ner? Two fifty. Ner Hashem nishmas adam. Soul of man, when he does all 248 mitzvahs, and then he merits that the higher love and fear are projected into his neshama, you start glowing with a godly light. You literally look at this person and you see that he's shining with ner Hashem nishmasad. The light of God. The light of God shining on this person. Zahu, um, I was reading about the Balshemta the other day. The Balshemta was once went to visit the city, I think, of Brod. And he saw a Yid, a porter, a very simple porter. And Balshemta was talking to the simple Yidin and inspiring them. When suddenly he walked by and he sees a porter. And the guy was schlepping and he hunched over. And the Balshemta, real, and people started laughing from this guy because they used to call him a name. And they called him Herschel, Herschel Tzig. Herschel Tzig means Herschel, Herschel goat, Herschel the, the goat. But the Balshemta saw that he a light emanating from this person's head that he's never seen in his life. Never saw such a bright light. The Balshemta was sure that this person was a hidden tzaddik. So he went and he inquired about him. Nothing. Only thing people knew about him is that he's a porter. He works very hard. And all the money that he, and he lost his wife, it was 10 years earlier, a few years earlier. And all he does all day long is he makes money, and what does he do with his money? He feeds goats. He has four goats in his house. And he feeds them. He spends so much money on feeding his goats. But he doesn't make a living from the goats. That's why people looked at him as a total mashugana. He worked so hard. But the Balshemtev saw such a light coming from his head that he didn't know what, what it is. And he spoke to the other hidden tzaddikim, and no one knew. And Moshemtev decided, decided to fast. It bothered him so much that he decided to fast that they should reveal to him from heaven why Herschel Tzig has such a light coming from his head. Finally, after three episodes, he made a tightness of three days, a fast of three days. The third day, like after Mincha, Moshemtev walked out and he encountered him. And he says, Herschel... He says, um, how are you doing? Whatever. 
Nachman Herschel said, uh, whatever. And he somehow he said, I'm hungry, can I come? Can I come? Can I come to your house? He says, For sure, I'd love to have you as my guest. So he brought him home to his house. And they sat together, and he was feeding him. And Shemtiv asked him, Can I have some of your, your, your milk, your goat's milk? So he gave him some of the goat's milk. It was my pleasure. And anyways, in the, in the midst of them sitting, he started telling the Balshemtiv the story of like why, what happened. And his wife passed away like 10 years earlier. And his wife went, came to him from a dream. And his wife said, I heard from all the rabbis. And we know such rabbis. I can tell you today's days they still exist. And some people are all crazy about these rabbis. But this is what the wife heard from the rabbis. That when you die, your neshama goes in the other world. And they, they, they first they take you and they, the malach comes and beats you up at the grave. Then they take your neshama and they bring it into this. Then they put it into the hollow of the sling and they throw the soul back and forth and back and forth. And then they take the neshama and put it and then finally whatever goes through all the suffering and everything. So she was expecting the worst when she died. She said she came up and it was so blissful and so beautiful. She had such, and it was like, <laughs> and they took her right away to Ganeiden and everything. And they said that treating, they, they, they gave her such a nice whatever place in Ganeiden because she took care of the ill and the sick. She would go visit them and visit the ill and the sick and cook for them. And that was so special above that she was taken to Ganeiden. So she coming to tell her husband this in the dream, how he should be careful with doing chesed. So what kind of chesed can he do? He bought the four goats. And he would milk them. And he would bring the milk to poor families. And he would put the milk outside their house. For years, that's all he... He worked, those, he worked crazy to make... He didn't need it. He had a little bit. He took a little bit for himself. That's all he needed. And all he did all the day was to make money so he can feed, take care of his goats, feed his goats, milk the goats, run around wherever he heard there was a little poor woman who gave birth, or this, and, he put, and no one knew where the milk came from. He would, put, he would go in the middle of the night to places to put people's milk. Why is he, but he, and he never revealed it to anybody. Why is he telling the Balshantim? Because last night, yesterday his wife came to him in a dream. She told him that um, tomorrow you, someone is going to come over to you and he's going to ask you about whatever. And you should tell him your story because he can give you a big gift. He can take care of you, something like that. So, so that's why he revealed to the Balshantim. Balshantim took this fellow and took him into the Chaburah of the Tzaddikim. And they educate. He was a very ignorant person. He is. But he did the mitzvah with such diligence. And he had a light shining from him, like unbelievable. And this was the story of Herschel Part of the Balshemtiv's experience of seeing the beauty of the simple Yidin and the great light that comes from them when they do just simple mitzvahs with sincerity. Anyways, when we do mitzvahs, what happens? The, 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 we begin to glow with a candle, with a flame of God. Especially when the love and the fear of God come on top of the mitzvahs. And it becomes a yid becomes a ner Hashem. A yid becomes a glowing lamp. Kinamach evidin v'tein droyen. You have the two, 248 limbs and the two arms gematria ner. Through the 248 positive Yumshach will be drawn Gilui Pchinas Drain Droyen, Train Droyen, the two arms, Ava Vayirel Yoinim, the supernal love and the fear, Achatiahan Shama Vipchinas Ner, 
until the neshama is an heir. And the main, and by the way, the simple yidn, I have to share this story with you. Even though it has nothing to do with the mimer that we're learning, but since I'm talking about the simple Jews and the power. Because a lot of people think that this power is only in the days of the Baal Shem Tov. I don't know, three, yeah, the simple yid, then, the tzaddikim roamed the planet. But how about today's days? Can simple yidn still accomplish what they accomplish? So, I just read this story yesterday. That what? That there was a shear in Israel just recently. And there was a shear. Someone was giving a class for a group of people in Tel Aviv. And these were beginners, people that didn't know very little about, they knew very little about Yiddishkeit. And they were talking at Allah. And the guy asked the rabbi, the rabbi asked the people, what bracha do you make on a watermelon? He's teaching them brachas. On a avatiach, on a watermelon. So the people said, there was an argument broke out. Some people said you make bore priya adama, and others said you make bore priya eitz back and forth adama eitz. The rabbi said, "Listen here, on a watermelon you make adama, even though it's a beautiful fruit. You would think it's a eitz, but it doesn't grow on the tree. It grows ground on the ground. Whatever, it doesn't have the qualifications for it to be make a, a bore priya eitz. You make adama." So one of the guys who lived on a kibbutz said, "What are you talking about?" On a watermelon, you make a shahakol niyeh bedvaro. So he said, shahakol, they looked at him like, yeah, you know, if you're ignorant, just be quiet, you know, what's mean? make a shahakol niyeh bedvaro. He said, no, you make a shahakol on, on a navatia. He says, I'll tell you why. He says, during the Sinai War, I was in a, I was in a group of tanks. And we entered, we were in the Sinai. Suddenly we entered into an Egyptian trap. We ended up in a, we were surrounded by Egyptian tanks from all sides, and we knew we were finished. Done, Caputo. There's no way we're getting out of this alive. And the, 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 the guy, the Mifaqeh, the guy in charge of the whole group, suddenly realized what's going on. He called out to the Hebrew, and he says, Does anybody know how do the religious pray? It's time for prayer. There's nothing else we can do. But they don't know how to pray. So anybody know what do the religious say when they pray? So no one knew because these guys were so, they knew no nothing. So he said, I knew. I remembered when I was a little kid, I went to my grandfather. I used to visit him. He used to pour me a cup of orange juice. And he used to say, Shahakoni, and he used to make me say a bracha, Shahakoni Abidvari. So I said, I know how the how the Daitim pray. They say, Barachata Hashem Lakena Melachim, Shahakoni Abidvaru. So he taught them the words, Baruch HaTashem, and they went and they, fight, and they took one anti-tank, whatever, they put it in the thing, and they shot, they fired a, fired a thing, and it hit the tank, and they all made a bracha, bar, all together, Baruch HaTashem, bang, and they blew up the tank. So they said it worked once, so they put it in again, whatever, they did a second one, and they all said, and they shot at it. Every time they said, all together, Every single time they hit exactly their mark and it exploded. By the time dawn came, they had knocked out all the Egyptian tanks. It was unbelievable. They came out from being totally ambushed. So he said, if you can make shahakal nimitvaray on a tank, you can definitely make shahakal on a watermelon. <laughs> that was his uh, thing. But simple yidden with simple things can accomplish unbelievable. Much more than Rosh Hashivas with all their lumbus and Tifa Rebkiva Egas. 
It's a whole different reality, the simple Jews. In any case, that's the ner. Now, yeah. and the main revelation of this high fear, who bishmoyne esrei. Shmoyne esrei is when the real, the fear takes, hishtachvoy so bitl, is when you bow down shmoyne esrei, if you're davening the way you're supposed to. And you went through the four stages of left hand, right hand, right hand, and now you receive God's left hand, which is the fear. And the soiviv kalama now reveals itself in your soul, and you experience the yichud. Sim shalom is the yichud. At the moment of sim shalom, at the end of Shemayin Esrei, that's when this unification takes place. What is known, the not tchilas and that the beginning is wedged in the end. And he says an interesting thing, even though. The first fear is the lowest level. It's your starting, the first rejection that you do to yourself. That's the lowest level. And then the highest level is the highest fear. As we said before, that the two Yitzchaks are separated from each other. Yitzchak, Avram, Avram, Yitzchak. Yet, there is dafka a connection between the lower fear and the higher fear. The lower fear, which is the heavy head, and the left hand pushes away. Harisha, in the first one, this is a preparation. The, the lower fear is a hachan and a preparation for the higher fear. If a person will not precede davening with a broken heart, which has to do with the lower fear, if you did not start with that, then maybe you can experience love during davening but you're never going to get to this divine revelation that comes from the high level of fear. Which actually is a mimer, I think, on Parsha Shemini that we learned a few years ago. On this it says, in, no, it's, I'm sorry, it wasn't Shemini, it was in Parsha's Achrei Mois. Which on that it says, Bezois, Shehi Yiretata Yavai Aaron. Zos, we know is Malchus. Malchus is called Zeis. Ve'emuna called Zeis. Malchus is called Emuna. Ve'emuna called Zeis. Malchus is Zeis. And what does it say? Bezeis Yavai Aaron El HaKodesh. When Aaron, the high priest, goes into holiness, how does he go in? What's his entranceway? Zeis. The lower fear. How do you come to the Kodesh? Kodesh is the higher fear. You come through the entrance of the lower fear. Okay. We'll take a little break and then we'll understand Trumas Adeshin. What is Trumas Adeshin? Which is really special. Okay. Hmm? We got we got the, we got blogged back on last week. Okay. V'ata Yuvan, and now we'll understand in Trumas Adesh and the idea of Trumas Adesh. Apima Shakasa Betera Pasik Vayar Yisrael Sayyad, Tafkuf Samach Dalit. Tehine al Gimel Dvarim Oilam Oimed. It says the world stands on three things Allah Torah, on Torah, Vavoida, and Avoida, Gimilas Chasadim, and Gimilas Chasadim. 
Nimtza comes out, Avoida Shu Karbanais, Avoida, which is Karbanais, who Kavas Moilas, the left side. The Torah Kavam Tsai, Torah is the middle, Ukimilas Chasadim, and kindness, Kavyamin is the right side. So he's asking a very simple question. What's the idea of Avoda? Avoda is Karban. Karban means closeness. Closeness is the opposite of the left. The left side is all about, what did we learn earlier? Small doche. The left side pushes away. How can we put karbanais on the left? And karbana, which karban, the very definition of karban means kiruv, close. It doesn't make any sense. Olahaven, hakarban, olahaven. Hakarban, upchenas kiruv. To understand, the karban is kiruv. Usmoilu doche. And smoil is the, what pushes away. After one experiences an excitement and an eslavos of Shema, which is the ultimate kiruv and closeness, we get the Shmona Esrein and we again start banging our chest and saying slachlanu. So the question we learned a few weeks ago in the Mimer, if you're doing your laundry, you should do it before you come to the king. You want to wash up, go wash up before. Why would you stand in front of the king and start, at that moment, confessing your sins? And we explained a few weeks ago in the Mimer that what you're clapping slachlanu at this very high moment is not for the real big core sins. That you have to do tshuva before, like we spoke in the beginning, before davening. But what happens is, after you come close to Hashem and you come to such a, a deep connection... It's only at that point that you start realizing all the subtleties of faults that you never even noticed before. It's only because of the closeness and the unification. It's like when you look at a piece of silver, when it comes out of the ground, you can be, okay, it's pretty nice, it's silver. Until you don't heat it up in the fire, you don't notice the schmutz that's in it. Once you heat it up and you loosen it, the schmutz starts coming out. The same is in the human soul. When you put the soul into the fire of davening, and you heat your soul up in Shemayna Esrei, in the, in, in the Psikha de Zimra, you come to Shemayna Esrei, suddenly you start noticing all these things that you thought are okay, it's good, and you start saying in front of Hashem, this is how you daven, this is how you learn, these are my thoughts. And you, so the, the shmutz, these, these subtleties come out. And that's why karbon is both karbon and smoil daichet. Because dafka from the karbam, from the closeness, what comes? The, the, the from dafka in the closeness is when you feel the doicha, you push out the negative stuff. The bad stuff get pushed out, dafka from the smoke. Now, where was that manifest in a regular karbam? I understand in Shemayinas, right? But in a regular karbam, where was that? Well, when you burnt the karbam, the whole animal got consumed in the love, in the fire of God, besides the ashes. So the ashes are the like the what is not consumable. It's this doicha that which gets pushed out of the relationship. Out. It's the klipa. It's like arois. It's the garbage that couldn't been couldn't have been refined. And he explains now. The more his slavos you have, from the contemplation and the greatness of God. The angrier you get on your soul, you'll see yourself more distant. 
Ma'ashem, from Hashem, Shaloi Hayakain Mikoidem is Boyninus, that which was not before the contemplation. Because before the contemplation, a person is Yashar Be'enav. A person says, I'm a pretty good guy. But when you daven, then you got. After you got closed, you have a smile. See, in addition to the fear that we spoke earlier, which comes, which is also from the left hand of Hashem, the second smile is also the same idea that we spoke at the first smile, that it's also a rejection. It's rejecting all the negativity you. This is the mitzraf lekasef, the oven in which they, the sweltering or the pot for the meat, for the silver, the refinery. And what does it do? It takes out. Through this oven, the kiln or whatever it is, the psiles, the schmutz that's inside of it, is revealed. That's what we learned a few weeks ago, Mamash in the Pasik Machtas Hashekel. Well, the Alter Rebbe explains that. That Dafka, in that, in that um, a revelation that comes, is the Isgalus, is the, he, he says, remember we learned, there's the smoke of the carbon that goes to the klipa. It's that which is pushed out. That which is, uh, Alter Rebbe explains it over there, Gavaldig Amaymer. That's the idea of Lechaper al Nafshe Seichem, to bring atonement. Because Dafka, this. Kemoi came the same as also Ishlafima Aloloi Bekriya Shema. Every person according to his Hilal, according to his praise by Shema, Kachnis Galaloi Shayesh Psoilas. He realizes that there is a Shmutz. And he says, this is, this is the world of Chasidim. Chasidim never patted themselves on the shoulder, real Chasidim. They davened, and the more they davened, the deeper they got, the more uglier they felt because they just found, and people looked at them, you're such a tzaddik, but they knew amongst themselves how there's such, that they blamed themselves so much, they took such, such like, for, for small things that we wouldn't, like, yeah, but, but them, it's like, become like, that's the whole idea of the mitzvah, of taking one shovel. So what's happening? What's the idea of lifting up the, the, the deshen? Shua Efer, which is the ash, Shanishar Achar Ikala Esh. After the fire completely consumed the carbon. And what is the fire? The fire, we said, is the image of a lion that comes down, which is the God's kindness, God's love is coming down and it's burning. That means the yid is becoming consumed in godliness. Shalamayla, Arya Dachul Karbon, and the, the lion eats up the karbon. Shubchanasislavos, and the person experiences the ultimate burning, burning fire. Vikirov and closeness. Vinikra Karbon, and that's called the karbon. That's the moment of Kirov. What happens next? There is desh and there is ashes. There is the discoveries of imperfections that you find afterwards. And that does not get burnt in the fire. The ash that remains, this is this lowliness, that comes from this closeness. So it's interesting. You begin the davening with, with, with doing tshuva. Then you accelerate and close this close, and then you do tshuva over again. And here's the beauty. From yesterday's highest moment of davening, in which you discovered new imperfections, you wake up the next morning and you take yesterday's new discoveries of faults and you use that to break your heart today to get you to start davening. 
Because you have to start every day with a broken heart. How do you get the broken heart every day? Well, you take yesterday's leftover from yesterday's carbon, which means the imperfections that you discovered after yesterday's heightened davening that you wouldn't have known without davening. You have that in your head. The next morning, you concentrate on those faults that you discovered yesterday which could be very subtle things. I did a mitzvah, but I didn't do it with pureness of heart. I did it with a little too much self-awareness. I did all these little things that a person notices. You use that to start your avodah for the day, and that's beheirem esadeshen. You pick up a shovel full of the deshen. And where do you put it? Next to the mizbeach, which means this too is going to generate your avodah. Because what did we learn earlier? The whole point of the smoil doicha is to lift you up. So when you put that down, then you can build the, the fire, you can put the new wood on the Mizbeach to make the Kabbonis of the day. So every day from yesterday's um, um, sediments that, did not, that was not included in the carbon of yesterday, don't throw, don't dump it out, don't just throw it away. Use the negativity of your faults to fuel the frustration, and the frustration is going to bring you a broken heart, and the broken heart is going to break you and enable you to experience new godliness. And that's how you move higher and higher and higher. Smoil doichelachem v'samay eitzalam is beach. Put it next to the mizbeach. Ki smoil loy tachas l'roishi. His left hand is beneath my hand. Shal yedei zayir ramas roish. Through this is going to be the elevation of the head. It's going to allow a deeper bond because you, you, a person can say, well, I connected already. There's no such thing as connecting already. There is deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and yet deeper. And each level requires a little bit of deshen to project you and to propel you into a deeper union. Here, the Rebbe says such a gavaldig Indian. This is only one shovel full. One shovel full. But the rest of the shmutz from yesterday, throw it out. What does that mean? And that comes to indicate. You hear? One shovel full of bitterness is good. But the rest of all the ash, meaning if it's chas v'shalom, weighing you down and you start thinking all, all about your lowliness and you start getting depressed and you start getting completely t'shviveled, like someone said to me this week, the Lushen t'shviveled, t'shmiveled, this is what he said. Become a gansen, whatever. That's very bad. That's not good. She'ein mezet tehelas. There's no gain. If chas v'shalom, you walk around all tzetzed and, and you say fachmurit, all day long, all ba'atzvus, all sad. There's no benefit of that. Sheim is at the elus. V'tzarech lezarkai that you have to throw away. That you have to throw away. It's not beneficial to sit and lay, to sleep inside your big pile of ashes left over the carbon the rest of the day in sadness. It's not to bring any benefit. One shovel full is beneficial because a little bit of bitterness is going to create the frustration needed to bring you to a new level. Only a little. A little more. The meridus for the richuk, not more. That's why he says that Samach Tzedek says it's mentioned in Tanya. The best time that's best. How does a person know what's a good time to make himself bitter about his sins? Al Tadeb says, When you're sad, anyways. 
when you get depressed about worldly things, turn the sadness in focus about your avarice. If you get sad because of whatever, you're having a hard time materially, problems in your life. So you suspend that thought. You're in a bad mood anyways. Start thinking about your failures in Yiddishkeit. So you'll take the, and use that. What's going to happen? What is that? So here you have a big pile of ash. That's all your sadness. You're taking one shovelful. You're taking the sadness about your mitzvahs or about your lack of mitzvahs or lack of avoda or avera, whatever it is. Use that to help you fuel your tshuva and your return to Hashem. You're lifting up the deshen from the rest of the ashes. And the explanation of this matter, to understand that a little better. Trumas HaDashen is the beginning of the day. According to this, it seems like, what did he say? I added this whole point, that the next morning, you're starting off for it. But he didn't mention that till now. He's just saying that during Shemayin Esrei, you've discovered the Ra that's there, and you push it out. And it comes out that, that the ashes that are coming out now are the second smoil. The smoil that's what? Remember we said, Yamina Usmala, first there's left, then there's right, and then there is again right, and then there is again left. The left that comes after davening. L'choyre, Trumas Adeshen is not the end of it, it's the first of it. In a Yeduah, he says, a Gavaldik Inyan. When it comes to the birurim, it says when there was fallen sparks here at Gavaldaginia, when the sparks of holiness fell. So it says immediately, the it became mixed good and bad. Then when Hashem emerged, the reshined the orange seif again. It attracted the goodness, and the best of the sparks of holiness were immediately attracted. And they were absorbed in holiness. And they became the spheres of Olam Atzilas. Olam Atzilas is no Ra. Because everything that was taken, it, the marshal that he's giving is like this. Let me use, first give a marshal. The marshal that he's giving is kind of is like this. A person has silver. And silver is mixed with gold. And it's mixed with sediments. So the first thing you do is you look around and you look for the finest pieces that are clean. Maybe you need a little polish and you see that's mamish clean silver. That you put in, that you keep in. And the rest is schmutz. It's garbage. But if you're ambitious, but it's a shame to throw away all of that stuff. You go back to the pile of junk. You put it in the, in the, in the fire. And you see there's a lot of silver there. And you push out the junk. Then, if you're really ambitious, you go to the third level junk, schmutz. You put that in the fire again. And in that itself, you discover little, 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 um, little tiny specks, traces of silver. You pull that out. And so you go until you end up with the dregs of the dregs of the dregs. Now, this is a very encouraging thought that I'm saying right now. Initially, when God created the world, there was this mess, the silver that became rare. He emanated light, and the best of the best went into Atsilas. And the rest is mixed with klipa. Then the Ebrister goes back down, shines his light again, heats it up again. The good of it goes into Olam Abriya, and the rest of the junk goes down in Olam Ayatzir. The Ebrister shines his light down again, pulls out the birudim, it becomes the malachim of Olam Ayatzir, that's the good, and the ra descends in Olam Ayatzir, in Olam Asiya. 
That's why the Arizal says that our world is filled with klippas and sitrach. This is like the junk of the junk of the junk. That's where Hashem sends us into the junkyard to find the diamonds that are hidden in the deep. But even in the last birudim, in the last things, we need to elevate. What do you see from here? That what was rejected yesterday, what was pushed away yesterday, becomes the project of today to utilize it today. You see, what was yesterday considered a fair junk. Who says you have to throw out all the afer? It's a shame. Don't throw out. You know, I mentioned in Shabbos this, uh, this thought. Israel is a small little country, doesn't have enough place, doesn't have very little land. So they have to use the land in the most beneficial, smart way. They can't waste land. That's one thing they don't have in Israel. They don't have a lot of land. They have a lot of brains, a lot of uh, whatever, but they don't have a lot of prime ministers, but they don't have, they don't have land. So one of the problems they have is where to dump the garbage. Because other places, you know, you can take it and put it to take it to the, the, the desert in Arizona and make a huge garbage garbage dump. But over there they don't have much land. So they came up with a way where they could take all the garbage and turn the garbage into fuel. Imagine taking garbage and converting garbage into energy. It's exactly what we're talking about over here. You finish davening. You felt, yuck, you pushed out these stuff, you rejected it, they're outside of you. That's yesterday. Tomorrow morning, go to that pile of garbage and see what you can use in your service. What? Start, start meditating on, this, on, the, on that which you discovered yesterday as negative. Take one shovel of it, of that bitterness, use that to fuel you to a deeper avayda. So you're taking that negativity that's what the idea of tshuva. You're taking the garbage and you're turning it into fuel. Isn't that amazing? You're taking the garbage and you're using it for fuel. It's the bal tshuva. And that's what you're doing. Obiter sheni. You do it. That's what he means. That's from yesterday's smoil doichav. Slach lanu. You start tikkun chatzais today. Before davening from yesterday's slach lanu that came from. You do a binyan abirudim. Shamuf charnichlul batzilas. The best went in tatzilas. Whatever was not able to go into Tzilas Nitcha B'derech Pchinas P'soyles L'Oilam Abriya Went down to Oilam Abriya V'sham Nevar Oid Memenu And over there we did a second birur V'yochel Lies Nichlal B'Briya Was able to be included in Briya It's like second grade silver Not first grade V'chem Abriya L'Yetzirah Then it becomes third grade silver Whatever is able to be included in Oilam Yetzirah Went into Oilam Yetzirah V'aderech Zayivin Gamkem V'inyan Akrabonois the same will also be understood in the union of Karbonos, Now let's look at the same thing with the animal. The behema is a fallen spirit that which fell down, Shviris Akein. Mezayin Malkin the Toyu from the seven kings of Toyu, Venis Arev Beklipas Noiga. It got mixed in Klipas Noiga. Kamashakosov is Tafus Akas. That's why an animal is enraged, anger, Gavura, the Kedusha. Because the general force of the Zion Midas are more Gavura, and Oilam Atoyu Gavura dominated. So it's Gavura is cautious. When you take the animal and the fire from above eats the carbon. And they become sweetened in these Gavura. It's this idea. From these negative gavuras, they become included in holy gavura, in a holy fire. It becomes absorbed in the holy holiness. 
the afer that is left over, who pchenas psoilus yechashev, is considered psoilus. Legabe gvuris momuntakos, to the rest of the animal that went into the fire, that got absorbed in the lion. Shanichlalu b'shalheves ka, that became absorbed in the, in the supernal fire. The afer, and the word afer, here it's hinted to in the word afer. Afer, which means ash, is aleph par. What does that mean? Aleph par. Afer, aleph par. Par is 280, is the gematria of the five gevures. The five gevures are menatzpach. Mem, nun, tzadik, pei, chaf. All the letters that have a double letter, they're called menatzpach. And they're gevures because they're meant to put at the end of words. They're meant to restrain. So if you make menatzpach, mem is 40, plus nun is 50, is 90. 90 plus 90, another tzadik, menatz, tzadik, is 180. 180 plus 80 plus pay. 180 plus 80 is 260. Plus chaf, 280. And that's pachas gematria 280. That's par. That's why para aduma. The para represents ultimate gavura. Para aduma. On the left side of the chariot, because here's the gavura is very intense, there is a shur, an ox, the, 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 the face of a, of, an, of, a, of a bull, of an ox, of a shur, that's par, red. And that's where all death comes from. You have to, that's where paradum is misakin. What's par aleph? Hegvurs benat. Shenoflu mepchenas noiga. I don't know what the aleph is doing here. Ve'ava pikein nevertheless. Yesh pezeh bidur sheni. You do a second bidur. Loharem esadeshet. To lift up the deshet. Okinal. De bepsoyles shenitchem atzilus. De bepsoyles that went out from atzilus. Yesh oid bidur sheni. There's a second bidur. Lies nichlal bekedusha de biyah. You can still absorb it in the level of Kedusha of Biyah. What does it mean? You can take bitterness. Bitterness itself is a Gevur, it's a negative thing. It's from the sadness, from the deep pile of, of, of depression and darkness. Take a little bit of bitterness and use the bitterness. So take salvage. Salvage what you can integrate in Avoida from these Gevuris. Whatever you can't do now, put it outside of the camp because it's over. There's nothing to fix anymore. It's the leftover junk. Like Hamas, Fashvartz, um, or uh, all these other guys. Hezbollah and, 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 and ISIS and the Gansachev. This is the idea that when Yaakov and Esau were fighting, Yaakov and the Malach of Esau were fighting, they raised dust until the Kisya covered. What's dust? The Zayar says dust is what comes from a burnt out fire. It's like sooth left over. That's the dust. And when Yaakov was fighting, he raised the dust to the Kisya covered. That means taking even the leftover dregs and elevating that. That's what our generation, by the way, is doing. Our generation is left with the junk of the junk. And we're elevating it, and that's reaching the highest of the high. Putting it next to the Mizbeach, this is Kisayakovit. Now, the second smoil, second left, he says, is like the Losase. Which is high. Remember, we said that the higher fear 
is greater than the higher love. Because the higher love has a little bit of self. It's I'm loving. Even though it's coming from Hashem, but you're still reacting to Hashem pulling you, you're loving. But in the fear, you're bottled completely. So therefore, it's similar to this that we say, that refraining from doing Avera is higher than a mitzvah. Because in doing a mitzvah, this I'm doing a mitzvah. When you're refraining from doing an Avera that you want to do, you're nullifying the I. It's not like, no one is excited to refrain from an Avera. I mean, obviously, of course, you could be excited for that, but I'm saying, refraining from Avera means when you want to do the Avera, and you're telling yourself no, and it's bothering you. So you're nullifying. You're, there's, there's, so what Loisa say is higher from Asay. It's like two, there are two types of seals. A seal that you, you, that you stamp, there's two types of seal. There is a seal that when you print it on something, it creates emboldened letters. And there's a seal that you print it in something, it creates um, in, inward letters. So, but and it's interesting. Whatever comes out on the paper is opposite in the seal. If in the seal the, the, the engravement is in, so what is it going to create on the paper that you're pressing down? Letters that are raised letters. If in the seal the letters are bolding, what is the letter? What is it going to do to the paper? It's going to push it down. It's going to make indenture. So, we are the seal. God is the thing that we're printing on. So, if our, if our observance is in a manner of a embolded, an emboldened signature, which is like a mitzvah saseh, I'm doing, so we cause an indenture above, which is not, but when we're serving God, not with a I'm doing, but with a, but with a me not, with, by fulfilling a losa say, in which I'm saying, I, I am not through bittle, I'm not doing what I want, so we're like carving in, then we're building it, we're bringing forth bold godliness. And bold godliness is much stronger godliness than indented godliness. So, that's the highest. However, the taking, the removing of the ash, which is the beginning of the avoida, avoida the avoda of the next day, it's taken from the carbon of the first day. From yesterday's excitement of Shema, and the smile that's afterwards. This gives power on tomorrow to the first smile. That's why Trumas Adeshen Bikriyas Agever. That's why Trumas Adeshin was by the calling of the rooster. Remember, we began to share that way. Because, The rooster, it says, on the, on the bracha that we make every morning, the first blessing we say, Hashem gives wisdom to the rooster. Why is that such an important blessing? Because the rooster is Malach Gavriel. The source of the rooster is Malach Gavriel. And when it says Hashem gives Wisdom to the rooster, it says every night, Gavriel goes to Ganeden with a whip. And he wakes up the tzaddikim. It's like an awakening. And he whips the rooster, and that's where the rooster cries. Kakadoodle do, it's from the whip of fire from Gavriel above. What does that mean? And that's why the 
the um, the rooster is called gever. But sometimes the rooster is called gever. Gever is the same word as Gavriel. Gever, gevura. This gevura is what we have to wake up with the morning with. Remember we said, what was the first thing you do in the morning? Not, not, not chesed, you do gevura, a crush. You start with gevura. The batash, it's also the left side. And that creates, that awakens all the neshamas. Yeah. That's why Trumas Adeshen belongs to the calling of the rooster. They both belong to the same idea. It's the arousal of the gevura that comes before the arousal of the chesed. And here's a gavaldiga thing. We're already concluding. Deshen yesh by base pirushim. Deshen has two pirushim. Ha'echad lashen efer. Trumas means ash. Kipshutoi. Va'bez, the second word of deshen is, it says, Dishanta bashemen roishi. You've anointed my head with oil. Dishanta. Dishanta also means you've like saturated. So what do you see from here? The deshen means ash, which is the lowest, or the highest. It says another pasuk. It says that the olive said, "I've stopped my fat." Deshen means fat. We can understand that this idea that how can it have two such extreme different meanings in regards to the name Merari, the word Merari, which is one of the sons of Levi, one of the families of the Levium, were called Merari similar to Marar, has within it two times the word Mar. Because Mirari, two races, one Mem, but two races. Mar, Mar. Two bitterness. What does it mean? Base palm and Moir. Ha'echad Moir de Ketores. Now, Moir was one type of Moir was in the Ketores, in the incense. Midam Chaya Yedua, which was from a certain animal. That's the real bitterness. That's the first Smile, the first left. Vabez, and the second one is called Shemen Habmor. The more, the oil of more, which is the finest smelling oil. So here you have the bitterness of the Ketores, the Tshuva, and here you have Hu Pchenes which is associated with the higher fear. Pchenes Sheni, the second smile. And when we say Mirarim, we're connecting both. Because remember we said, the lower, the lower, Fear is connected to the higher fear. The lower bitterness is connected to the higher fear. The, the experience of the first smoil rejection connects you to the higher smoil, which is the yud of God's name, which is the highest of the high. So the mirari is a schabrus beis bechinas elu. Through the lower fear, you come to the higher fear. Because the ed, beginning is edged in the end. The, the beginning is wedged in the end. So it's the higher Chachma Shemen Amor. And Trumas Adeshen, that's the lower fear. Which all this brings a person to the higher fear. Which comes from the sin. Trumas Adeshen, which comes from the sin. Loshen Deshen, v'shem ekedibish name oil makan echot kemuvan. That's the Deshen. So Trumas Adeshen is the lowest and the highest at the same time. 
Adkan Hakafa Aleph. We begin the we're gonna do the second Hakafa. Okay, everyone? We just finished the first round. We have seven Hakafot. So hang out. We're just taking a break. We're gonna do another seven teachings tonight. Another six. This is one. Probably about seven in the morning for Shacharit, we will be done. Thank you all. <laughs>